For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm communicating with someone, so hang on for a second here. I think you're going to like this because I was just talking... I was just talking to Tone about this. Um, this is a crazy story. This is absolutely a crazy story here. I got to tell you guys about it. Um, first and foremost, big sales. So this morning, as I'm hearing reports that the Eagles are going to sign and hire Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator of the Eagles, my high school coach, Joe Anslone, texts me. I went to school in Connecticut at Stanford Catholic High School. I went to a prep school. Believe it or not. <laughs> I, yeah, hey, I know. Shocking, right? Big Sills went to a Catholic school. Well, I went to a Catholic school. I did. And my high school coach goes, hey, congratulations on your friend getting the um, D.C. job with the Eagles. I'm like, Vic Fangio? I don't know Vic Fangio. I just told Tone, you could have put me in an electric chair and electrocuted me, put me in a firing squad and asked me to swear, have you ever met him? I would have said, no, I'd never met him. And he goes, well, don't you remember me driving you up to Milford Academy in the early 80s after you got out of high school? There was an issue about my grades. See, I had 1,100 on my SATs, but I had a 2.1 grade point average, and I had to pass a class to get into college. And at the end of the recruiting time back then, only a few schools saved a scholarship for me, SMU, who was going to go on probation. And I think B.C., outside of Maryland. All the rest of them had to fill their scholarships. So I was going to go to potentially to a prep school called Milford Academy. And a lot of Pitt, Penn State guys went to school there back in the day. Ton of Penn State guys, ton of Pitt guys. I think Chris Dolman went there. You know, the Hall of Fame defensive end for the um, NFL. And he went to school at the University of Pittsburgh. Anyway, so my high school coach goes like this. Sills, don't you remember? Who recruited you? I go, no. He goes, the guy you talked to was Vic Fangio. So my high school coach gave me his cell phone number. I text him. He goes, you don't remember me recruiting you? I, congrat I, I congratulated him on becoming the defensive coordinator of the Eagles. And he's like, yeah, I recruited you out of Stanford Catholic to come play at Milford Academy. I held a scholarship for you. And I think he went to North Carolina after that. I only think he stayed there one year. Okay. How crazy is that story? And, you know, it's funny. I was just telling Tony, you know, through playing and being in broadcasting, it's crazy the amount of people you forget, you know, you've had 
interaction with. So Vic Fangio getting the job. You, you know the most important thing about him getting that job is that he's going to be at least in control of that side of the football. You guys may not like the scheme, but what's going to be the difference from a year ago, here's a guy that's going to have autonomy in how he's going to run his defense. Now, obviously, there'll be interference from the front office and from management, but still, you're going to get coaches, I think, in the building this time because we're going to talk about that press conference and my takeaways from that press conference. That um, you're, there's no question. One thing came out of that interview or presser or fireside chat was that Nick Sirianni was neutered. He has no power. He is more of a department head now. He has no say in anything. That was made abundantly clear because I went back and watched that press conference twice. It was easily one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. And you had eight days for that? And you put that out there for people to chomp on? Eight days you had. And that's what you went out and how you presented yourself. Really? Eight days and you gave people that. People could say anything they want about his style of coaching, but it fits today's NFL 34 defense, two safeties over the top, fast LBs. They need to get LBs or it won't work. Correct. And what you heard from Howie Roseman, I'm not very sure they're going to tool the right thing here, Christopher. I'm not sure they're going to. Okay? I'm just not sure. But there's no question. That press conference, before I get in, I, I have my takeaways here. By the way, Angelo Cataldi will be with us at 4.30. Randy Cross will break down the NFC Championship game, the owner of three Super Bowls for CBS Sports. He played with the Niners, actually, and Joe Montana. We'll get his thoughts. Lions and 49ers. Tomorrow we'll do something with Chiefs and Ravens. Kadri Ishmael will join us tomorrow. So we'll break the AFC down tomorrow as we get ready for the conference title games this weekend and we're going to get into our takeaways here but that that press conference me listening it was it was a bunch of deflecting it was just deflecting and and and, and not self accountability when it came to the person you get, get this do you know what i took away from howie Howie's not taking any blame for anything when it comes to the personnel decisions that he's made. You know, he did say something about the underachieving defensive line. Okay, so that was probably, but get this, he gave more credit to the linebacking core than he did to the defensive line. And I was like, dude, okay, your defensive line didn't have a great year, but your linebackers were horrific all year. And you gave them more love in that press conference than you did the guys who were actually showing up. At hey, they played at least 13 good games, 12 good games. That linebacking core never played any good games. Talking to me about guys who are not good, it didn't make sense. 
I, it, it just did not make sense. So let's get to the takeaways. You know, first off, wait, before I do that, what was the purpose of that press conference yesterday? What, what was what was the what was the purpose of it? What what did you accomplish? Knowing your position, we don't need to know that. Telling us what kind of went wrong, we don't need to know that. They talk too much. The entire organization talks too much. They don't owe you an explanation on winning 11 games and winning 25 games in the last two years. They don't owe you anything. They really don't owe you anything. Why do they feel the need to over-explain themselves on what went wrong? It, 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 it's like you're more accountable to the media or letting the media know than you are to your own players. It's really ass-backwards. It was just bullshit, that whole thing. Get, get this. You, really, so no dis- disrespect, and I'm just using Jeff McClain's name. So I owe Jeff McClain an excuse on why we went one and six down the stretch, and I don't owe more of an accountability and conversation with my own players. Hey, no disrespect to the media guys. Fuck them. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. I, I, don't, I, I didn't get the purpose of the press conference. I just didn't get it. You didn't, it was not necessary. And by the way, why didn't you do one at a time? Why didn't Howie do one? Why did you have to do it together? It's like a babysitter. I got it, Nick. Hey, when I dude, Bill Belichick doesn't do press conferences with assistant general managers. The guys who are in charge don't have a guy sitting next to them. They get up there in front and they sit there themselves and they answer questions about their football team. It, it's just really, there's too many voices. Just too many voices. It just doesn't make sense. I, I didn't get the purpose of the meeting in the press conference. And then for you to have eight days and give you that shit, that was terrible. Hey, I, I learned more about your incompetence than I had learned more about your competence. Is that fair? He made it halfway through the season and realized he messed up huge and spent the rest of the season trying to fill the linebacker position. Yeah, because Dean shit the bed. He was never going to do it. I said it from day one when they named him the starter. And they're naming him the starter again. I'll make it again. This is an easy prediction. He will not play the full season again. He will start the season and be on IR again by week two, and he will underachieve. He's not good enough. Shit, before he got hurt, he didn't play well and they were targeting him. Dean is a bust. You got to come to grips with it. Have you seen one redeeming quality about that kid outside of him being a good dude? Let me let me get to this takeaway now. Again, I didn't get the press conference. 
I did not get the pep. I didn't get the whole thing. Kobe Dean's a bust. Hey, watch this. Sorry, guys. In my book, Nicobe Dean's a bust until proven otherwise. Here's another one. Until proven otherwise, Jordan Davis is a two-down DT. Until proven otherwise. And get this. How many of you guys were waffling on that bullshit? Uh, you owe him an apology, Sills. You owe Jordan Davis an apology. I said, I don't owe that kid nothing. It's a long season. Let's see how it plays out. Sure enough, he went back to being who he was. Right? Hey, there's one thing I do like, LJ. LJ goes like this. If the Kobe's a bust, what was your career? A bust. Yes. Take it from me. Yes. You got me. I know when I can spot one. Bust. Absolutely. Let's do the takeaways. Okay? Truth. Justice. The Big Sills way. That's what we do here. Eight days for that bullshit press conference. Okay? Hey, that's funny. Hey, that's a great one. I played in more NFL football games than the Kobe Dean did. That's still a fact. <laughs> Who would have thunk that? I've had more tackles in one No, no, I think Jordan had more this year. Yeah. I had more tackles in a season than N'Kobe Dean. And I've actually played in more games than N'Kobe Dean. Let's go to the takeaways. Brian Johnson. Here's Nick. He's a great coach. We just need a new direction. What? He's really a great coach, had a lot to do with the success here. But we just need new voices in the building. Come again? Do you like him or not? Was he a good? So he was a great coach. You fired a great coach in your eyes. You meant to say, we fired a great person. They're so uncomfortable in front of a microphone. Both those guys. They're so uncomfortable. We've Brian Johnson's a great coach. I was like, <laughs> why did you feel that you had to? Well, what, 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 what's that stuff called when you do this? That you felt that you had to give like a reach around on why you fired Brian Johnson. Okay, he's a great coach. C. Sills, that's why you're my Bob Lang if I own the Eagles. How you doing? Cute. Thank you, my friend. He's a great coach. I was like, okay. There's a first lie. Let's see how many lies we got here. Nick, we're changing some directions in our offensive scheme. 
wait a minute, what, 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 what direction is that? Actually trying to get guys open? Going back to the RPO? Why didn't anybody follow up on that? Like what? You wanted to get back to the 22 offense? Or are you looking to expand the 22 offense? Because don't bring back that 23 offense. I mean, we're looking for new ideas. Well, what ideas didn't you have in 23? Everyone had a career year. New direction? So Jalen's going to get another coordinator with a new direction for the eighth time in nine years from his time playing college and pro ball. Sounds like you got this thing going. Nick, the offense got stale. You know what that's code for? It didn't evolve under Nick. How's that guy have a job? How does that guy have a job when he says his offense did not evolve? Now you know why your quarterback had to step back. The head coach didn't evolve. The offense didn't evolve. You had the same playbook and the same players. Don't you ask yourself that question. I was listening to Sports Take earlier. You guys know I like the show. And they had a guy on from Delaware, was it? And you, you know you know what they were saying? Well, there's a lot of talent on offense. Shit, it's the same talent you had in 22 that you had in 23. And Swift gave you another dynamic. Why did you suck? What, what, what was the problem? Direction? What staleness when everyone had a career year? What was so stale about it? Winning games? See, Shane wanted to win games. Nick and Brian wanted to put offensive numbers up and big numbers up. And by the way, is that not a philosophical mentality that the owner wants? Didn't this year's coaching staff, especially on offense, give Jeffrey Lurie what he wanted? Yes or no? Isn't that what Jeffrey Lurie wants? Big play, big numbers, high scoring. Isn't that the argument they had with Doug? They delivered that. Everybody across the board had career years. Aren't you seeing this? How did it get stale, Nick? How did it get? That's a lie. How can an offense be stale when you were more productive this year? Your quarterback had 40 touchdowns. How were you stale? Nick Sirianni has this job. You know why? Because he did what Leonidas wouldn't do. He took a knee. He he is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles because that guy took a knee. Whatever you guys want. You want to hire your own coaches? 
fine. You want to hire your own staff? Fine. Because you know what, Nick? That's how you got the job in the first place. This press conference was comical. Every player that's at the NovaCare Center right now must have watched that thing and went, Jesus, criminy. It's their embarrassing Nick Sirianni right in front of your eyes. Most people wouldn't know it, though. Dude, let me tell you what happened. How he put his Pope ring out and Nick kissed it. How about this question? This has to be the most embarrassing question I've ever heard a coach with a 667 win. Get, get this. You have a 667 win percentage. Let me set this up properly. You have a 667 win percentage. You've made the playoffs three years in a row. Your quarterback just got a $250 million contract. You've had, in the last two years, two coaches get head coaching jobs that were on your staff. How can you be asked this question? What's your job, Nick? That has to be the most embarrassing question I've ever heard. Asked to an NFL head coach, what's your job? We may have a neutered coach, but I just want to take a second to say Dallas stinks back to the programming. Philly 500, I love you. That makes everyone's heart feel good too. How many guys with a 667 win percentage have been asked the question, what's your job? What do you do? What is your job title? Well, I bring coffee into the defensive meetings, offensive meetings, special teams meetings, and I kind of like oversee. And you know what I do? I, I, I put a spreadsheet together. That's what I heard. This guy makes spreadsheets. Checks on his departments and then goes to his office. That's his job? <laughs> oh, man. What's your job, Nick? What's your job? See, when you got guys like John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, some of these other guys that are managers, they're not asked those questions. Mike Tomlin's not asked what your job is. Those other guys are not asked a question. What's your job? What's your job? What do you do here? It has to be the most embarrassing question I've ever heard an NFL head coach asked. In my life, what's your job? Here. Howie. We have a lot of great players and a lot of young great players on our defensive side of the ball. Who? Who's young and great? Jalen Carter? 
Josh Sweat. Who else? Milton Williams. Who else? Who else would you consider great young talent on your defensive side of the ball? These cut this came out of this guy's mouth. He's got, and he feels they have young, great talent on defense. He called, he did, Flexen. He called N'Kobe Dean great. You're, 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 I mean, not one of the draft picks showed any promise outside of Carter. I thought Sidney Brown was average. I thought Ringo was average. Look at the numbers. You were terrible in pass coverage. You were terrible across the board. Scheme. Overrunning plays, no pursuit angles. Ray Lewis was laughing at you in that buck game and your pursuit angles. Do you know how to run to the ball? Do you even practice that? Do you practice anything? This guy was telling you at that press conference, I watched it twice, that he has great young talent. Your core guys on defense are Josh Sweat, Jalen Carter, and that's it. The rest of those guys have a long way to go. Two out of 11. And your backups are dog shit. Wait, Milton Williams, I'll take that back. I'll take that back. I like Milton. Milton should be starting over Jordan Davis. Milton Williams should be starting over Jordan Davis, but how would never let that happen? You're going to start the season with Nicobe Dean as your starting linebacker. You're going to have the same shit you had last year. I don't care if you bring in Bud Carson. I don't care if you bring in Bill Belichick to fix that defense. When you don't have the Jimmys and Joes, you can't do anything. You could have the greatest scheme on the planet. When you got trash can linebackers, then you got players that can't play anymore at the corner position. I don't care what you think you can do. Can you fix it? Get me some Jimmys and Joes. Howie, I have a lot of belief in the Kobe Dean. I think he's a great player. <laughs> where where did you get that from? When he played against Vanderbilt? Where, where in the world can you, how about this? I'll take anything here. Give me one moment where you saw he was good. Zach Cunningham, Howie, had a great year. It did. I can, you had eight days for this. 
How do you sit there and listen to this if you're a media guy too, knowing full well, none of this is true. I thought I was at a Biden press conference. Or for that matter, a Trump press conference. None of these guys were like politicians. None of this shit's true. Howie, it was Nick's call to fire Desai. So let me get this right. Nick said the offense got stale, which means it didn't evolve. And he decided to fire Desai, if we believe that. And I don't, but he said it. Big Seals, why, oh, why, no reporters asked two dudes, why did the players told us that the motion of the side came from you guys. Which one is it? They deflected that question. They didn't want to answer it. They, they didn't want to answer it. Okay. Nick, Nick, Nick goes like this or how he goes. Yeah, that was Nick's call. So how did he explain to you that elevating Matt Patricia was Nick second guessing the sigh that falls on me. No shit. That's why coaches get fired. So the offense got stale under you. You made a poor decision on the defensive side of the football. Your in-game situational play calling blew out loud. Your quarterback regressed and he kept his job. Kiss the ring, Nick. You got an ass kisser for a coach. I don't either, Philly 500. I do not believe it either. That whole press conference was a lie. Did the Eagles let Vic know they have no cap space? Hey, by the way, the Dolphins are going to file tampering charges against Philadelphia Eagles. I borrow, my boy Armando says, they, hey, and by the way, just because they may have wanted to fire him, he was still under contract when they contacted him. That's tampering. Whether they were going to blow him out or not, he was still under contract with the Dolphins when they mutually parted ways. And now that the Dolphins know he had a job in waiting, that job in waiting, that wasn't just something that was made up in 10 seconds of a phone call after they parted ways. That was negotiated. They're going to owe draft choices to the Dolphins. That's tampering. When a coordinator is under contract, whether you're going to fire him or not, as long as he's still under contract, and if you're negotiating prior to that, that's tampering. Ask the Cardinals and Eagles. They ha- Get this. This time the Eagles are going to make sure they get their guy. 
So he mutually parts ways. The next day he has a contract all ironed out for a three-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles to become the defensive coordinator of the, of the Philadelphia Eagles. And that wasn't negotiated, but it was negotiated in two minutes. No, okay. Now you'll believe that. Tampering. He was under contract with the Miami Dolphins. Any way you want to look at it. Howie, we need to make sure we're moving forward in a positive direction, that we're all working together. I don't know what that means. How about this? Duh. Nick. How about this one? This question was kind of, I'll give the media in Philly a little bit of love here because you know what they did? They wouldn't get off the gas pedal on this. Do you know the media had to ask this question three times? Three times they had to ask this question. Nick, Hertz and Brian Johnson and the new coordinator, what's the involvement? This guy went on some sort of like, like three-minute soliloquy. Well, you know, we're going to do this, do that, that, da 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 And I'm like, he said nothing. It's like watching Charlie Brown. And I was like, I got nothing out of that. Nick. Hurts and Brian Johnson asked three times. You know, uh, finally. Well, you'll have to ask Jalen. <laughs> you, you, you were asked the question three times. You danced around it. You never answered it. Classic shit here, man. Eight days for this. Hey, they were as prepared for this press conference as they were for their season this year. By the way, I'm just, oh, yeah. Hey, the content is amazing. All you have to do is just listen to the bullshit. This ain't me talking. This is them. I wrote it down. Look, this is not me. I'm not making this shit up. Go back and listen. Nick Sirianni, I have to reprove myself. So the offense didn't evolve. I made a poor decision on Desai and Patricia. My in-game situational play calling sucked, and I have to reprove myself. And you're a 667 coach with a winning percentage, and you've been to playoffs three years in a row, and you have to reprove yourself. (laughs) Jesus, man. Holy cow, this is just a really I do it. I don't know what the hell to say to this thing. This thing was a disgrace. They did it. I mean, I'm not sure why they did this to themselves. What was the point of this? Get this. 
I'm just pointing shit out here. I'm not really, I'm, I'm pointing, get this, right, Tone? I'm pointing stuff they said and answered. I'm not adding it. This is stuff they, this is how they answered these questions. Like, I'm not adding a spin. I, I'm, I'm, I wrote their answers down. I Look, I put Nick, Howie. Here's Nick on Hurts getting better. His work ethic will right the ship. That's maybe one of the best lines that was in that press conference, and one I believe. I think there's only one guy in that building that can fix things. It's him. He'll fix him. Will Nick fix him? How about this? Let me rephrase that. Jalen Hurts will fix himself. Will Nick's fix? Will Nick Sirianni fix himself? I'm going to make a point to you here. Jalen Hurts is outgrown Nick Sirianni. He's not qualified to be a coach for Jalen Hurts. Jalen needs a more qualified coach. And I mean a more qualified head coach. Fuck the coordinator. He needs a more quality leader around him. He's used to Nick Saban. He's used to people like that, Lincoln Riley and those kind of folks. Not a puppet who kisses rings. And lies all day. He needs a better leader, dude. Most of these people have no clue how well you could come off a block and wreck the and wreck the football. Love the honesty, brother. Thank you very much. It's all good, man. Nick Sirianni is not good enough as a head coach for Jalen Hurts. And you know what people are saying now? How can you have a win percentage like that? Because you got great players and horrible leadership. That's what they have in they have in Dallas, kind of what you have in Philly. Really good players, not the strongest NFC. They're going to win a lot of games, but when the games matter, you're not going to win them. Because to win superstar games, you've got to have the Andy Reeds. You've got to have the superstar coaches like John Harbaugh. You've got to have guys like that to get you through the finish line. Never invest in the jo- never invest in the horse. Always invest in a jockey. That's Warren Buffett. If you don't have the proper jockey, no matter how talented your horse is, he ain't going to find the finish line. And that's kind of what you got here. Nick Sirianni can't find the finish line. He couldn't find a finish line when you were one and six. He didn't know how to turn it around. Trying to figure out the Eagles is borderline insanity. It is. Dude, Howie Roseman was just as much of a bullshit artist as, as Nick was. That whole press conference was just a bunch of bullshit. No wonder the players in the locker room looked at everyone and went, who's the leader? Guys, 
I'm not telling you, you know, I'm adding some of my opinion on this, but if you just listen to their answers, how, how about this? How frustrated were you after that press conference? How frustrated were you when you listened to it? You went, shit, man. They told us more than I thought they would, but the other way. I didn't come out of that thing feeling better. I came out of that thing feeling worse. That's why I predicted you're going to be a five-win team in two years. Howie. Howie was asked a question. Why'd you bring Nick back? It was kind of like a low-key question. We brought, brought him back because we have confidence in him. If you have confidence in him, then why'd you fire his DC? Why'd you hire a babysitter in Desai? Why did you hire two coordinators that had no experience? Did you maybe overestimate? Could this be a possibility? Think about this, guys. Maybe they overrated. Hey, can players be overrated? Can players be overrated? Do you think a football player can be? Is Micah Parsons overrated? How many people in here think Micah Parsons is overrated? I, I do. I think Micah Parsons is overrated. Do you think Micah Parsons is overrated? Do you think he is? Okay, compared to like when you see a Miles Garrett or a TJ Watt, players can be and so can. Yes. Well, why can't a 667 coach that's made the playoffs three years in a row be overrated? It works both ways. Nick Sirianni's overrated. He's Michael Parsons of coaching. He's overrated. Players can be overrated. Why couldn't this guy be overrated? They're hiding behind the record. They're hiding behind the playoff run. Howie, you put good players on the roster. That's evident. Look at the offense. You five pro bowlers over there and should have been six with the quarterback. Six of the 11 players you should have as pro bowlers. Your coach is overrated, dude. Hey, how about this? Maybe that's really an indictment on the entire 2023 season. The entire team was overrated. Could that be? Can that 2023 team be overrated? Remember a couple of years ago when the Cardinals got out to a great, what was it? Like 11-0 start or 10-0? Steelers too, a couple of years ago, like three years ago. They got out to some crazy start and everyone went, that team's overrated. They're not going to be a great team at the end. It was like Roethlisberger's last year, I think. Team was overrated. How Get this. 
How many people in here think that Nick Sirianni is overrated? Remember this. You went through the same process that you went through with Doug. How he almost said that verbatim. Remember what that? What was the famous line they were using in that press conference? Business as usual. Business as usual. Business as usual. That's what this was. It was business as usual. You fired Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl, who lost 11 games. And you had the same coach, who's a 667 win percentage guy, who's been to the playoffs three years in a row. Can I tell you this? If that if that was Doug Peterson, who had won 11 games and had been putting these teams in playoffs year after year, he'd get a contract extension after this year, even with the one-in-six finish. Why? He has the equity of the Super Bowl. Howie does. If Howie gets the equity of the Super Bowl, so would Doug. Do you understand that's why, Doug, the importance of firing Doug? Because Doug had equity that Howie had. Howie can survive a one-in-six finish because he has the equity in the Super Bowl. He brought it up because we've done it before. Remember what I told you, Tone? Don't ever bury your assets early in a press conference or in an interview. Wait to the middle or the end. Howie brought 17 up middle towards the end. Why? Because we've done it. He was smart to do that. Because he went to his equity. His equity is 17. You see, Doug had equity of 17. There's nobody in that building that has that equity but him. Don't you understand that? Nobody in that building has the equity of the 2017 Super Bowl but your general manager. So he can survive being one in six down the stretch. Nick can't. Nick can't survive that. That's why he's got to reprove himself. You know, this guy pulls his aces out when he needs it. 17 will always be his number one ace. Because when someone goes, how do we know you can do it? Well, we did it in 17. There's the card. Look at this. Steve goes, we all know that, Sills. I don't think you do. Because why would a guy with a 667 win percentage be on the firing block? I don't think you do. You could make the argument that Nick Sirianni has had some of the most success of any coach in the history of the Eagles. And you almost fired him? I like that Philly Bob. That's a good one there. Hey, Hollywood, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Let me finish my takeaways from that fireside chat you guys had yesterday. Howie, the cupboard's not bare. The cupboard's not bare. You have no coordinators worth a shit. You have no defensive football players worth a shit except for three. And the cupboard's not bare. And then you know what people like to do? They'll dissect and go, well, the offense is good. Really? How'd that offense look this year in the second half of the season with all those talented guys? Good or bad? What happened then? 
if you have and you're comfortable with all those players that you have on that side of the ball and you couldn't make the playoffs, what's your excuse? Coaching? Personnel? I want to I make a point to you here, Dan, to Howie Roseman. This is fantasy football as long as he's involved with football. Think about something here. Howie Roseman says that the cabinet and the cupboard isn't bare. You know why he says that? Remember what I told you yesterday when I asked Jeff Ireland a question? I asked Jeff Ireland a question when I was doing radio in Miami. And he was the general manager of the Dolphins. And I asked him to give me a grade of what he thought his roster was. And he gave me B's. And I said, and I fired back at Jeff and I said, you've had two straight years of six and 10 and you give yourself a B for the roster. So it must be coaching. Then that sucks. No, 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 no. Then he had to walk it back because he knew he stepped into a trap. You know what, how he's saying here, the cupboard's not bare. So it's coaching. He thinks it's coaching. The owner thinks it's coaching. He told you that with that one comment that the cupboard's not bare. You can't just, you see, in the NFL, you can't talk about one side of the ball. You can't dissect that. You either have a great roster or you don't. 22 was a great roster. 23 is an unbalanced roster and an unbalanced salary cap. Why? Because you paid your quarterback. Howie robbed the defense, cut the team in half, hired people that weren't qualified, and that's why you're – how about this? What would you give the grade of that football team? Here, let's do this. What grade would you give that football team the last seven games of the season? What grade would you give your team? 11 wins? You're overrated. What would you give your grade to the last seven weeks of the season? A C for one? Henry thinks it's a C and you were one in six. Sorry, Henry. That's not average. C is average. You didn't have an average record. You were killed by quarterbacks who are journeymen. That was an F. Overhyped. How about this? Don't you think that your season also was a microcosm of Jordan Davis? Really good. Second half, F. A-F. Eagles, A-F. How? Lee caught up with you. League realized who you were. You weren't the 22 Eagles. Okay? You were overhyped. You know who I thought really kind of showed you who you were? I think it was still Washington. I know some of you think it's the Niners. I think it was Washington. That started showing you a little bit about your weaknesses and who you are and where to attack. I kept saying it the whole year. Remember even when I was talking about New England? I kept saying, man, if they just attack those tight ends, 
with those linebackers that the Eagles have, they'll win those things every day. All of a sudden, teams started figuring out you couldn't talk, cover tight ends. And you got a general manager that's walking around in a press conference telling you that he thinks that his linebackers played great this year and one guy's got a great, bright future who can't stay on the field. I don't know how you justify that comment and not get crushed in it. I didn't see any comments made by the Inquirer, too, ripping that thing to shreds that he thinks that his linebacking core is a good one with a promising future, Mike Backer. That's what he said. Tell me I'm wrong. He thinks Dean's great and has a great future ahead of him and that Zach Cunningham had a great year. He raved more about the linebacker play. And by the way, Howie, you didn't drive Zach Cunningham. You found him at the Milk Dud store. I mean, he's taking credit for Zach Cunningham? Jesus. Zach Cunningham is a borderline NFLer now. Nick, position coaches are in trouble. Okay, we're still evaluating that. He didn't say trouble. I added that. He said we're still evaluating the position coaches. And what did I tell you? Remember that point I brought up to you? You had 24 coaches last year. You made 12 changes by elevating players into new positions. I told you that'd be catastrophic. And it was. Think about what I said to you. I added up 12 new coaches that were elevated into new positions from the 22 season. There lies the majority of your problem. You didn't just have inexperience at your coordinating position. You had inexperience across the board. Do you know why they're going after veteran coaches now? Because those veteran coaches are going to bring in, especially what I heard with Nick today, saying that no coaches in the building are safe. Those coaches are going to bring their own people in. That's why they're going for experience. They're not just going for the, they're not just, here, you're not hiring Vic Fangio for the 34 defense. You're hiring Nick Fangio to bring you a DB coach, a linebacker coach, a D-line coach, an edge rushing coach, a safety coach. That's what you're hiring him for. See, people look at it in the macro. Those coordinators are going to bring in quality wide receiver coaches. I don't think you need to change the wide receiver coach because the last three years, that position has done well with two people. Now, that's a philosophical way about how you're attacking teams. So I don't know if that's a wide receiving coach's job to sit there and go, well, if you can't spread the ball out, that's not my guy's fault. You get nothing out of a WR3. When you hire Frank, see, you know what's crazy? How many times did I give you guys names of people that could be like Leslie Frazier or a Frank Reich or a Canales who just got hired by the Panthers? Those guys are not just being hired because they're coordinators. 
They're hired if they're given the autonomy to bring their people in and to execute their game plan and to execute their 43 or 34. You can't go into what you did. Here's what the Eagles tried to do last year. Hire Sean Desai and Brian Johnson had no chance of success. You know why? They were coordinators from someone else's offense. Brian Johnson was the offensive coordinator for Shane Steichen's offense. And or uh, Brian Johnson was the uh, offensive coordinator for Shane Steichen's offense. And Sean Desai was the defensive coordinator for Jonathan Gannon's defense. And they asked him to coordinate. Then on top of that, offensively with Brian Johnson, you had Nick's influence. So did Brian Johnson really have a chance of succeeding? Absolutely not. It was two different guys' offenses, and he had to be, and he was given the plays to run. Come on, man. That's not a coordinator. That's a do guy. Hey, do what we tell you. Personally, I think you did those guys wrong because you never really found out if they were quality coaches or not. You coached the coaches. Look at that. They didn't coach the players. They coached the coaches. You can't win like that. Eagles let John Harbaugh walk out the door. Tell me that's not what they did. They did more coaching on the coaches than they did the players. I don't want to hire a coach and have to coach him. I want him to do his job. But see, again, control, Lombardi trophy. What's more important? Okay. John Harbaugh was a special teams guy. DB coach. We're supposed to fire Andy to promote him. I don't think you get anything wrong when you hire Harbaugh, do you? John Harbaugh could be a head coach at Tadpoles. And I'd hire him. Jim Harbaugh could be the head coach of frogs, I'll hire him. He could run a zoo, I'll hire him. You're not going to go wrong when it comes to hiring a Harbaugh. Nick. Offense, we have to We have to meet with the players. We have to get the players back on the same page again as we did. I'm not sure what that means. Um, Their comments on Jalen Hurts. Asking if Jalen is involved. By the way, just so you know, Todd Munkin, John Harbaugh didn't ask Lamar Jackson whether or not he liked Todd Munkin as a candidate. He had no say in that hire. That's leadership. And doing and get this, that's Lamar trusting him. Think about that for a minute. Okay? 
Lamar didn't question or was asked about Todd Munkin being hired. When Lamar was told that Todd Munkin's going to be the offensive coordinator, he goes, hey, I can't wait to meet. I can't wait to talk. Baltimore always does a great job of putting proper people around everyone. I'm looking forward to going into the 23 season. That's how it was presented, and that's how it was addressed. He was never asked his opinion. What do you think of Todd Munkin? And I'm not asking Jalen Hurts' his opinion. Okay? If, you, if I'm asking the player's opinion, that means I don't know what I'm doing. What's your job, Nick? What's your job, Howie? Your job is to put the proper personnel on the roster and coaches in position to win. Those are your fundamental things that you are hired to do. If you are turning around and asking, nobody's asking Joe Burrow about coordinators or Kyle Shanahan going to Brock Purdy about quarterback coaches. Kyle Shanahan's making that call. This is in the best interest for you. I'm going to put you in the best position to succeed. And you know what that does? You think Josh Allen was told or asked about Joe Brady being elevated? They fired Ken Dorsey. The next day, Allen said, this is my fault, elevated Joe Brady because that was Sean McDermott's call. This is in the best interest for you. And it was. Problem solver. That's what coaches do. And do you know what that does when you do that? You build equity up with your player because then the player goes like this. Holy shit, they are doing right by me. You got to ask Kai's questions and you got to give 50 different opinions. You don't have any leadership in your room. Football players want to be coached. They want to feel that you're putting them in a position to win. They don't want to know what kind of chaos is going on. So that notion that Jalen Hurts has to be involved in who his coordinator is, not me. Because if that's the case, your management team is running your organization again. And my question mark on Jalen moving forward and getting better will still be there. And you're going to rely more on him to get this right, and he'll have more shitty coaching around him. I would say this. In eight of the nine years that he's had all these coordinators, half of them guys sucked. So there's a 50-50 chance he gets a guy that's going to help him. A coach has to have something to bring to the table. Who's the best guy for Hurts? This is what you talk to your player about when you're when you're Jalen. We 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 want to look at a guy, and you give him a profile. You don't give him a name. You give him a profile of what you're looking for, because you don't. That's why they're interviewing a hundred guys. I heard some people going like this: Kellen Moore sucks. Kellen Moore may be the right choice for Jalen. You don't know that. I don't know that. Was he right for Herbert? Nope. Was he right for Dak? Kind of, but not really. You know, these coordinators, sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't fit. 
Nathaniel Hackett works with Aaron Rodgers. Nathaniel Hackett doesn't work with anyone else. North Turner worked with Troy Aikman. Doesn't really work with anyone else. That all goes hand in hand. It, it's not a simple hire. Who's the wide receiver coach? Who's the running back coach? Are you going to retain Jeff Stoutland? Probably. I hope you do. No ex-Cowboys. I don't give a shit where this guy coached. I care about getting Hurts right. Whatever that looks like. Dude, this stuff with putting tags on people because they were here or there is idiotic. You're looking for the most qualified person you can possibly have. Okay? I want the best coach to be put in the best position to be given the most autonomy he can possibly have to help that kid elevate his game. Nothing else. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what his resume is. I could, I want to know what he's going to do for that kid. Okay. Well, this guy played here. This guy was, who fucking cares? Okay. Who cares? That's like doing this. Check it out. Um, Here. Emmett Smith in his prime. Eagle guys wouldn't want Emmett Smith as a running back on their team because he's a cowboy. I mean, do you play with dolls and shit? Do you make sandcastles? I mean, do you have a slurping machine at home? It's I'm like, what are you talking about? Takeaway, final takeaway here. Nick has this job because he kissed the ring. Plain and simple. He bent over. And he kissed the ring. Hey, Nick, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. If you're not happy with it. That's when Nick said, I have to reprove myself because you know what that meant? They told him and read on the riot act in that meeting. Hey man, this fell apart more so than what we thought. And you know what I think they have? I don't think they have buyer's remorse about Nick. I think they lost some faith in him because when a head coach has to say, I have to reprove myself with a 667 win percentage and three straight playoff runs, you know, he was read the riot act saints interview 49ers. Clint Kubiak, Brian Greasy, and meanwhile, I got it. I mean, dude, you got to, dude, that, that press conference led me to believe that there is total non belief that it was player. They don't believe the player. Get this. They don't believe that the players on the roster were the issues at the end of the year. They believed it was the coordinators and new ideas were needed in a stale offense. They blame Nick. Howie and the owner aren't blaming them. Once again, they're staying the course 
and their egos. That's what I took away. You had eight days. And, you know, I, I heard no disrespect tone, but I, I heard that guy that was on. They were humbled. They were lying. They were bullshit artists. Hey, you can humble yourself in front of the media because that's what the media wants to see. That was a production. They put a show on. There was nothing truthful about the answers or the presentation of it. And if you buy that, that's on you, man. Sorry. I don't subscribe to that kind of shit. Because I'm a result-driven dude. Either you're winning or you're losing. You don't have to show contrition to me. I don't give a shit about contrition. I don't care about sorries and press conferences on Wednesdays. I don't care about you making lies up and then turning around lying again about the lie. I care about you winning. And get this. To hear some media people say that Nick and Howie were humbled, you'll believe anything. I mean, who gives a shit if they're humbled? What does being humbled have to do with anything? They're paid six to eight million bucks to coach the team. I'm sure Howie's in the three and a half million dollar area for being a GM. I don't give a shit if you're humbled. Didn't you feel that those guys were contrite? That's like being asked, Nick, how you feeling? Is everything in the weight of the world on your show? I don't care. You didn't care when you fired Desai twice. But I'm supposed to care about that bullshit comment? And that bullshit press conference like that? Man, I can't believe how you people fall for that shit. That was a train wreck of a press conference. There was not one redeeming thing about that press conference that was truthful. Kobe Dean's great. Zach Cunningham's great. Our cupboard is not bare. We got a lot of young, great, talented players on defense. What's he talking about? What is he talking about? What was he talking about? And again, what was the purpose of the fireside chat? It was to bullshit you. Hey, how about this? What did you take away positive? Hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. What was the positive thing that you took away from this uh, thing they did yesterday? What was what was the what 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 was the positive thing that you took away from it? And and you know what? If there was, maybe I missed it. What was the positive thing you took away? What was the one positive thing? I'll, and I'll go. You know, you're right. I missed that. That Nick is giving up 
all of his offense. Again, then what's your job? How's that positive when your coach has no job? Nick Sirianni doesn't have a job. He has no responsibilities. What coach in the league has no responsibilities? He has none. He won't make any of the position hires. That's going to be left to the coordinators. His offense is not going to be anywhere involved in the new coordinator or on defense. What what is his responsibility? Look at look at look at some people in here comparing Nick Sirianni to Mike Tomlin. Really, in an organization that's had three coaches in 60 years, they let their coaches coach. He's the boss. Nick has no power. Mike Tomlin is being compared to by some idiots in here to Nick Sirianni. That's a disgrace. Nick Sirianni couldn't clean Mike Tomlin's shoes. How many times did we have Kevin Colbert on this program? Three? He's former general manager of the Steelers, and I happen to know Kevin Colbert 35 years. He was with me in Detroit. And we've been friends a ton. Remember what he used to say when he came on here and how he ran the Steelers front office? He was the senior vice president and general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you know what he would do? Mike Tomlin would walk into his office in the offseason and say, this is what I need. This is what I want. Go find him. And in the offseason, he would go find those players. He would didn't know what they looked like. He would go around and look. Mike would bring in the names of assistant coaches he wanted to bring in, and he would. The organization would look at it with the Roonies. Sure, Mike, whatever you need. And Mike Tomlin is here, – here's the difference between Mike Tomlin and Nick Sirianni. And for you guys to compare that, it's it, – get this. Think about this. Mike Tomlin would go in and go, I want, Andre, I, I want Alfredo Roberts and Carl Dunbar. I want Dunbar to be my D-line coach, and I want Alfredo Roberts to be my tight end coach. You know how I know this? They were teammates of mine, and I know how they were hired. So Mike goes to the general manager of the team, and at the time it was Kevin Colbert, and he goes, okay, do you want these guys? No problem, coach. He goes to the Roonies. Roonies sign off on it. Sure enough, Mike gets his guys. Mike's never been told no. That's why Mike didn't want to fire Canada, because that was his hire. Hey, I need these type of players. He never asked for a particular player, like a Joey Porter Jr. He wants this type of player. They know the makeup. I need a linebacker, I need a corner, and I need a safety. By the way, he was right on Porter Jr. He was right on Porter Jr. Because I want that kid. And sure enough, they went and they, they drafted him. And that's how Mike Tomlin runs. Nick Sirianni has none of that power. He ain't asking for assistant coaches. 
He ain't asking for personnel. And then you know what they do in the offseason? I see you, Pretty Dime. I agreed. You know what they do? In, what, what, did, what did he tell you on this program? And once the season starts, I don't do interviews. I'm not seen publicly. I stay out of the way. That's coach's time, too. Coach needs all his attention on his team. They don't get in the way. Mike Tomlin's not sitting up there with the general manager of the Steelers. That's the difference between the Steelers and the Eagles. Mike Tomlin runs his team. Same with John Harbaugh. John does all that, too, with Biscotti and Eric DaCosta. I want this assistant coach. I want Todd Munkin was hired by John Harbaugh, not Eric DaCosta. Not by the owner. Those guys are coaches. You're missing the point. You guys are trying to compare a CEO style of coaching. They are the same style. They're just not the same guy. I mean, comparing people to people who have the power to do what they want. and You see, here's the difference in Baltimore and Pittsburgh. They control their own destiny. Nick doesn't. Because no matter how good he does, he can win a ton of games. And if they don't like the way it looks, they'll fire him. Comparing Nick Sirianni to Mike Tomlin. <laughs> yeah, or John Harbaugh. You shouldn't go there. There's no comparison. Only, only in the kind of style that you're talking about. Mike Tomlin's a coach. Nick Sirianni's a lap dog. You saw it at the press conference. By the way, our guy Tone's going to join us at 3.30. Angelo Cataldi will join us at 4.30. Randy Cross, the owner of three Super Bowl rings, will join us at 5.30 Eastern time. And we'll talk NFC Championship game with him and get his take on it. Mike Tomlin and Nick Sirianni. <laughs> you can't be any dumber. Hey, don't forget the 2024 season is here. And during this time, the calendars are out for our great friends at Hooters. Nine of the girls featured in those calendars. $1 this weekend when it came to the divisional games on Sunday. Dollar off. I mean, you're going to be able to have yourself a great time. And I mean dollar off. It's going to go to local proceeds. $2 off actually on the purchase of each of these pitchers during the conference championship games on Sunday. Also, inside those calendars, $100 in coupons are there for you. All you have to do is purchase the, the calendars there. NortheastTutors.com. That's NortheastTutors.com. Lunch specials Monday through Friday, 1130 to 3, boneless wings. Happy hour Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, 6 items, 6 bucks. That's NortheastTutors.com. NortheastTutors.com. When you roll in, do me a favor. Tell them Big Sill sent you.
Football and Hooters, the perfect pair. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. quarterback in the National Football League. Fabulous arm. And he'll be one of the top three quarterbacks in the National Football League by the end of the 24th season. Do you know who that'll be? By the way, let's make a little prediction. Who do you think is going to have a better 2024 season? Justin Herbert or Jalen Hurts? Who do you trust? A coach that went to three straight NFC title games? And a guy who has a quarterback who can throw the ball? And a guy who knows what he's doing? Or Nick Sirianni? There's not a chance in hell Jalen Hurts will have a better season than Justin Herbert. Nick Sirianni's not a better coach than Jim Harbaugh. And I don't give a fuck who he hire as a coordinator. That guy's going to win. 
because he always does. And he takes no bullshit from anybody. Justin Herbert's going to have a sensational season. You know why? They hired the best quality coach they could possibly bring in for him. That's what you do for a franchise guy. They went from Brandon Staley, Nick Sirianni's cousin, to Jim Harbaugh. You really, you're betting money is on Hertz having a better year next year than Justin Herbert with Jim Harbaugh as his coach. You're blinded. It's okay. I know you love your team and you should, but you're out of your mind. I, I happen to agree with that, Mike. I think Justin Herbert has the potential to be a bigger talent than Josh Allen. You just need a coach that knows how to win. And that guy does. By the way, he ain't a college coach. He's a coach. 44-19 and one, three straight NFC title games. What was it, three points away from winning the Super Bowl himself? He couldn't take the bullshit of Trent Balky up in San Francisco, said, fuck it, goes wins the national title, turns Michigan into a better program than even under Bo Schembechler. You know, Bo Schembechler never finished higher than second. At any time in his 28 years at Michigan, and Harbaugh wins a national title there. They hadn't won a national title in 80 years. Jalen or Herbert in 24. Good luck to seeing who you hire. I can't wait. This will be interesting because I know who the Chargers just hired. I know that guy. <laughs> that guy's a great coach, man. There's no getting – hey, is he a pain in the ass? Yes. Does he wear his welcome on? He's kind of like torts. This guy ain't going to have no Brandon Staley choking the game in Jacksonville. Hmm. He got coach. The Chargers went out and hired the best guy they possibly could and put him with the best coach they possibly could. I can't believe the Chargers struck gold here because that's not really who they are. But you see, they got a problem in L.A. It's called an identity crisis. Now, Charger football is much must watch. The most compelling story, there were two last year, was Dion and Harbaugh. Yeah, okay. You take Jalen all day and his 20 turnovers. We'll see. See, Jalen, if he's not given the right guy, he's going to have to do this himself. Herbert's got Harbaugh now. You got to understand Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, LaFleur, Jordan Love. Look at the quarterback, Andy Reid, Mahomes. Herbert, Jim Harbaugh. Do you not think there's a coincidence to that? Jalen has Nick Sirianni. 
And as I said to you earlier, that coach is not good enough for that kid. You know who that guy needs? Mike Vrabel. He needs a coach that's a coach that has power, not that shit we heard yesterday. I think that was absolutely one of the most embarrassing press conferences I've ever heard a coach go through. And I ain't spinning it any other way. Let me bring my guy Tone in here. Big sales, how we doing, sir? <clears throat> how many times did you watch that press conference? Uh, watched the I one watched and a half. Twice. I watched the one and a half times. I didn't make it through, all the way through the second time. I, I, I got, <laughs> I got, I got tired yeah. of, I got tired of being lied to. So I, <laughs> I just stopped watching it. Okay, so a little bit of what your takeaway was, and I'm going to ask you the questions and some of the things that I took away from. Right. Just an overall synopsis there, Tone, of what you felt um, coming out of that thing. I saw two men who were doing their best to spin a situation the best way they the best way they knew how. Uh, spe- specifically, Nick Sirianni, he looked like a shell of himself. He looked like somebody who lost everything and was given nothing. Uh, Harry Roseman, and, and, you mean and like t- his balls were taken from him? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Harry Roseman, in typical Harry Roseman fashion. You know, the spin artist knows, uh, you know, doing his best to make uh, a negative seem like a positive, um, doubling down on certain things he believes. Um, it was so much that they said, but almost nothing that they said. And that's typical for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, that's typical for those two gentlemen. Let's say that, you know, sooner or later, Nick Sirianni is, go- is going to have to learn sometimes less is more. And you had he's, eight days and, for that, Tom. And he, he puts his foot in his mouth so damn much. And all you got to do is just be direct. See, that's how you know he's not a good liar. Because he's been asked to lie a lot in that organization. And look how and, and look how he looks. He just appears like he's rambling or like he's – you can tell that he just he's, – he's not a good liar. And when you ask somebody to lie, it's not a good liar. It's going to look that way, but overall, man, um, I just saw I just saw a team that's, or I saw I, I, I saw I saw two gentlemen that's doing their best to spin it. That's all I can say. Here's here's Nick Sirianni. Brian Johnson is really a great coach. We just need a new direction. All right, I'm glad you said that. Let's stay there. He's a he he's a great coach, but you let him go. So which is it for one? But also, here's another thing, right? You fired Brian Johnson, yet all year you were screaming at the mountaintop, this is my game plan. You know, don't blame Brian. He's just doing what I tell him to do. Okay. So why did he get fired? Oh, because he got scapegoated, right? You chose self-preservation rather than to fight for your guy. Well, in actuality, Brian Johnson is not a Nick Sirianni guy. How he hired Brian Johnson and if if Nick Sirianni had it his way, Kevin Petullo would have been the OC, not Brian Johnson. But how we wanted Brian Johnson in that role. So maybe that's why Nick Sirianni didn't feel the need to fight for him because the way he saw it, well, he Brian Johnson's really not my guy. 
I didn't hire Brian Johnson. Coaches look at it that way. They right. Do. Right. That's not his guy. So therefore, okay, easy fire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh no, um, here. Yeah. How about this one, Nick. I got a whole bunch of these. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same to um Angelo at 4:30. So I'm doing this right, to you right, too right. here. Already. Um, we are changing some directions in the offensive scheme. <laughs> what does that mean? In other words. That's the that's that's cold for Nick Sirianni is no longer in control of his offense. That's cold for that, and or also, his assistants, yeah, or his assistants, right? The whoever they here's the funny thing about it all: whoever they bring in on the offensive side, they're going to want to bring in their guy. Absolutely. See, when you hire, you know, you know what, Tone? I think sometimes <coughs> I tried explaining this in the first hour. When people hear a name, they just look at the name. No, when you bring in experienced coordinators, you got to think about what comes with that. Receiver coaches, running, they bring running back coaches in. They bring in all kinds of different yeah. passing coordinators, quarterback coaches. You're Let's just hiring your tree of coaches. Let's just start with Vic Fangio. They brought him in. You don't think he's going to gut that Eagles defensive staff? Absolutely. Bring- Tracy Rocker's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Tracy Rocker's in trouble. Um, um, uh, McDonald is in trouble. The, the DB coach. They're all in trouble. Place. They're all in trouble. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them stay. I wouldn't be surprised at all. How about this one here? Nick, our offense got stale. Code for it didn't evolve. Oh, wow. That's a <laughs> that's news that's to me. That's an indictment on him. It, it, it's so funny, right? Everything that he screamed at the mountaintop was his doing failed. Yet, he's still in the building. You claim that it's your job to instill the culture. Your culture failed you in the end. You claim this offense is your game plan. That failed you in the end. You claim Sean Desai, you claim demoting Sean Desai was your idea. That failed you in the end. Every bit that he had his fingerprints on failed him in the end. Every decision he made failed in the end. How is he still in the building? He's still in the building because they want to keep up appearances. They want to appear that too. He 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 laid down, and on, but on top of that, even further than that, they want to keep up appearances amongst their peers. It's important for the Philadelphia Eagles because I spoke I spoke to John about this last night, and I asked him directly. I said, "Do you believe this model that they're that they're hitching their wagon to is sustainable?" Do you think this model of Nick Sirianni just being a face and not being in control of his offense or defense, do you think it's sustainable? Um, John McMullen flat out said, no, it's not. It's not. Bas- basically, in so many words, and I'm paraphrasing, in so many words, John McMullen said that the clock just started ticking on Nick Sirianni. Oh, yeah. He doesn't I, see him. I, it's He doesn't see him past the contract at this let point. Me, let, me, let me continue here, Tone. And Mon, Money, let me just say this to you. Sills just saying things that get Eagle fans pissed. These were answers they gave at the press conference. This is not <laughs> made up. They ain't these are, are not these their answers. These are their I don't answers even know. I wrote down. I don't even know why you respond to everybody, man. I know, I know, man. You know, Every, you know like 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 there, there, there are some people who clearly are just living right. in I'm <laughs> answering the quite I'm in I'm I wrote their answers down. Right. It's Here. a transcript. You can look it up. I, it's a right. There's a I got a transcript too from it. How about this? 
How about the most damning thing ever asked to a coach that I've ever heard in my oh, entire I know, life? Oh, I know, I know where you're going with this. That was that was. What is your job? That was hard to watch. That was hard to watch because I don't think he knows. And and that's the sense I got. I got I, I got the vibe that he doesn't even know yet. All he knows is that he's playing ball and he's still the head coach. I don't think he knows. What's your that, job? That was one of the most damning aspects of that interview. Seriously. And it was so and it was so funny how the reporter worded it too, because he said Was it job oh, description? What was your job description or so, something like so, that? So so what he said was he said, So if if you guys are seeking new ideas on the offensive side and you guys are going to bring in another guy on the defensive side, if, if the offensive coordinator is going to run the offense and the defensive coordinator is going to run the defense, like that? what's your, you know, what's your role going to be? And he, his, his exact response was, well, I'm going to be the head coach. <laughs> so you answered and, it with the, we answered but, but, a question but guess with what? a question. But guess what? If he would have said that, Stuck that landing, I would have been like, All right, okay. But you know what he did instead? He said that, but he couldn't deal with the silence, so he had to keep talking. He's uncomfortable up there, yep. he's uncomfortable being uncomfortable. He is squirmish behind a mic. You feel me? He's oh, uncomfortable completely. being uncomfortable, dude. Watching not- those two guys up at the mic, I was like, I, I didn't believe a word that came out of that thing for that was like 35 minutes long. And I, I didn't, I didn't believe one thing. I couldn't believe give you Howie now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think, because I think you're going where I want to go next. Go ahead, Howie. Um, we have a lot of young, great players on the defensive side of the football. You know, Tone. I can only name three. Right. I can, I can only name a few that I really care about. What happens next? And um, obviously, Jalen Carter, Carter, Jordan Davis. Jordan I care Davis, about, I care about guys. And Josh Sweat. So there's four. Right. Right. Um, those the are, of them, those are four guys I'm sure about, right? Yeah. Um, there are there, there's a couple stragglers that I'm curious about. Um, I'm curious to see what Sidney Brown can become. I'm curious about that because he has a he has a motor that I like. Who's coaching him? Big Fangio, apparently. Okay. okay. Big Fangio, apparently. Oh, because oh, well, uh, it, it ain't. Hey, Vic will bring in a DB coach that will shake that ass up back there. Yeah, I yeah. you know um, see his assistants tone are gonna be the Vic Fangio name. Everyone's like, oh, he runs a thirty-four. You know, did it, and I, that's not what that guy's bringing. That guy's yeah. bringing quality coaches to coach your young players up. And besides, let's be honest: in this day and age, no one's running a four-three or a three-four straight up. Most of the time, you're saying nickel out there. You're nickel seventy percent of sixty-nine point five percent of the time. You're a nickel. Right. Right. I mean, okay, here, how about this one? Howie, I have a lot of belief in the Kobe <laughs> Dean. He's a great player. How do you know that? How does he know that? What did he see from the Kobe Dean to signify to him that he's a great player? Right? I would I would, I would have had more respect if he said, yeah, you know, um, obviously we didn't get as much on the linebacker position that we would have liked. Um, you know, Nicobe, you know, we gotta get, you know, we gotta get him healthy. And once he gets healthy, um, you know, he'll have an opportunity to he'll have an opportunity to, to prove um that he belongs on the field. You know, like, you know, I would appreciate if he spoke like that. It's like he speaks about them as if as if they're his children. 
and he's trying to sell them to a college recruiter. They are Yet, his. You picked them. It's 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 so fucking annoying. Hang on, uh, <laughs> but Tom, like, know this. I why is it so Tom. hard to just be firm with people? Tone, but I want you to know this: when NFL players are in a locker room, and you see the depth chart, and you're playing, I'm gonna put something out there to you. Milton Williams privately to his girlfriend or his wife. I don't know if he's married or what have you. He goes home at night and you know what he says? That fucker Jordan Davis is starting over me and he shouldn't. And the only reason he is is because he was the 13th pick in the draft. It's the only reason because he's Howie's guy that he picked him, even though he was too, but he's the higher pick. Trust me. That's what players think and say when you're playing players that don't deserve the opportunity to start over you. Milton Williams should have started the bad cack after after the Buffalo game. He should yeah. have started every game moving on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, You know, when, when, when I think about, you know, just getting back to that linebacker position, N'Kobe Dean has to stay healthy first and foremost. He can't show me or tell me nothing if he's not on the field. I don't care what you think he is, just how you drafted him. Um. He has to be he has to be healthy to prove any to prove something. And also, I, you know, I asked, you know, I asked people this earlier today. Does Harry Roseman not only does he have too, not only does he have too much faith in the Kobe Dean, but is he overestimating his commitment to the linebacker position? And my answer is, yeah, no, 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 no. I got the next one for you. He, 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 he truly thinks. Wait, Zach Cunningham had a great year. Listen. Zach Look, Cunningham. He called, okay, okay. Kobe Dean, a great talent, and says that Zach Cunningham, dude, that's telling you right there. Cunningham had an okay. Address that linebacker position. Cunningham had an okay year. Dude, they okay. don't think this is a talent issue. I don't see how they can't. I don't see how they can't. Um, that's why you know when I watch all of this, right? I ask myself, okay, what's their end game here with Nick Sirianni? What are they truly expecting him to? What's their expectations out of him, right? Because here's the thing. Nick Sirianni, he achieved a lot early. Three straight years in the playoffs, made it to a Super Bowl, but obviously had a major setback in year three. Okay, things happen. But it's how it happened. It how, it's how it went down, right? The seven-game skid, um, basically losing the locker room. The hires and the fires and the demotions and the, it, it it was just it was just catastrophic, and now how now he he gets he gets less power, um he's no longer in control of his offense or obviously not in control of the defense. So what's he doing here? How you keep him in the building because you clearly want to exercise some level of stability and signify strength. Okay, so are you are you looking at Nick Sirianni as a head coach that still requires? Grooming is that why you're keeping him here, and you want him to somehow grow into this coach that you expect him to Are be? Are you asking what's a your vision? Question. I'm just trying to figure out what's their vision for him. <laughs> yeah, you know what's, it. What's what's their vision? Let's be honest. Like you but, know, we always talk about what's the vision for the player. What's your vision for this coach? Because evidently he's not living up to expectations. To go the point along, where you get along. How how far does that get you? To a hot seat. With a 667 win percentage. Because I firmly believe he's on the fast track to losing the He's job. on the Doug Peterson hot seat. Is I don't I don't know. Okay. You're, you're getting what, frustrated, Tone. What's a how, how do you know? 
<laughs> because you get, you know why? You're it, it, it. See, I think what's really happened is that the onion peel has been pulled back here a little bit on everybody, mm -hmm. and how these people actually operate. And you know what's funny? How about what I told you about the quality of how a guy answers his questions is always going to be indicative of how he uses his assets and what his equity is in the building. How he didn't use the 2017 Super Bowl win until the middle of the interview until the very end when someone went, hey, we know we can do it because we've done it before. And he he went to that card, and I knew right then and there that's what's going to always give him the equity. See, Nick mm -hmm. doesn't have that equity. Mm -hmm. Okay? Nick's the only guy in the only one that can, has that equity. He's the only one that can pull that card. You know what he, I mean? Right. Nick can't pull that card. How is he how he can survive one and six? Nick can't. Okay. Let me throw this at you here. Mm -hmm. Here's Howie. Ask the question. It was um about about the side. That was Nick's call to fire the side. As soon as he said so, so wait, so let me get to the, the offense got stale. Nick fired Desai at 10 and 2, elevated him with Patricia. And then Nick's comment after that was, yeah, you can second guess things. That falls on me. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of those kind of responses. Yo, look, 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 look. I, for one. By the way, this is a transcript. They're, they're lying. <laughs> you know, you know, you know really? what's so funny? You, you, know, you, know what I, you know what I thought was funny? You know, the funniest part about it was the fact that he had the nerve to, you know, to bring up Nick Sirianni giving up play calling as if that was his decision too. Oh god! You know what I mean? He it's 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 like he's trying to it's, it's like he's trying to like like to dull every conspiracy. And when you come out and say, yeah, you know, um, you know, Nick came, you know, you know, Nick came to us saying, you know, he had his concerns, and you know, we backed him on it, and um, you know, just how we backed him on his decision to give up play calling to Shane, you know, it's it's like these slick ways to try to dull conspiracy. We know damn well, in my humble opinion, we know damn well he didn't give he didn't give up play calling willingly. You advised him to do so. We know me, we know damn well he didn't fire Sean Desai. You advised him to do so. That's me, my that's my honest opinion. Let me go off on, on an off ramp before I get back to the uh, transcript here. Mm -hmm. What do you think the impact that Jim Harbaugh has on Justin Herbert? Oh, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. He's gonna um he should actually get quality coaching. He should actually get quality coaching from this point forward. Um, Jim Harbaugh, he, he he wherever he goes, winning typically follows. So um hopefully ownership, actually I put it to you this way. By ownership bringing in Harbaugh and him taking the job, on some level, ownership decided to stop playing. Yep. Yep. Ownership decided to Can stop I playing. Can I tell you football. what they did, Tom? Because I covered that team for four years. Mm -hmm. Do you know what they did? They eliminated Howie Roseman's position. That's the only way they were going to get Jim in the building. Because didn't they fire their GM in midseason? Yeah, as well? he's now the GM. Tom's been on our program. He's a friend of mine. He's right. now the a GM of the Raiders. Right. They haven't replaced that position yet. And you said something the other day. Tom is really good at – look at uh, Derwin James, Joey Boza, uh -huh. uh, Herbert. I mean, he knows he's, – he's, he, he's good in free agency as well. He's good in free agency, and he's really good in the draft. The, the Spanos family got in the way mm -hmm. because you know what they did? 
They gave a lot of power to the general manager. A.J. Smith back in the day was the guy that fired Marty Schottenheimer. Marty was 14-2. and two. Marty wanted to keep um, Drew Brees and trade Phillip Rivers. They, you know, they, he wanted – Brees was a pro bowler in San Diego. But people but forget. That organization had to make a pivot. And this is what you and I talked about. The biggest thing they did, they have an identity crisis in Los Angeles as it is. They needed to get, and the only way you were going to attract Jim Harbaugh is by firing or even Belichick. Is by firing Eugene as well. By firing people. That was the only way. They, they, they already had people. their heart set on him. Exactly. They who they knew, they knew right when they fired their GM when they made that decision. They knew who they wanted. They knew. They knew. Um, oh, absolutely. They did everything in their power. To make their job as sexy as possible for Harbaugh. Yep, yep. They basically just get they basically prepared the throne and made it real nice and shiny for him. But then when he walks in, Herbert fifty million. See, Tone, this is what I give the Spanos family's clowns. They follow. Get this, they follow me on Twitter. The Chargers follow my 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 Twitter page. Believe it or not, because mm-hmm. I've had a good relationship with them. But the Spanos family just completely dean. They they get in the way, but. They pivoted and said, we just paid a guy $50 million. We, we have to change. The best coach we can. Right. We the can't Eagles afford it. go out, pay a guy $50 million, They give him the worst coaches they could possibly. No, no, no. They give him the worst experienced coaches they could possibly yeah. find. Hubris. Nick, Pride, Nick, Nick, ego. Nick is. Sirianni is Brandon Staley 2.0. See, here's the here's the difference, right? With the, with, with the uh, what is it, the Spanos? Is that what you said? The Spanos family? Here's the difference. At some point, they realized. Yeah, we're not football people. That's right. That's the they, difference. They did that. That's the difference. Though. I know that family. That they they had a come to Jesus conversation going. Where does their money come from? If you don't mind me asking, if you don't know, um, what, what kind of what, what, they're from what, Sacramento. They're from Sacramento. They're real estate people. Okay. And they bought the team from Gene Klein back in the day, and get this, they bought the team for fifty four million dollars. The team's worth right now one point nine billion dollars. <sighs> So I mean, it's a it's it, they their investment has mm-hmm. gone through the roof. However, moving to LA was a whole big thing. Moving out of San Diego to Los Angeles, but they don't pay any rent, they don't have any concessions. Kroenke gets everything, so they're kind of like the only team in the league without a home stadium, with really not a home fan base. They they started in LA. You know what? Hey, you know why they're named the Chargers? No, I actually don't. Okay, well, because back in the day, Baron Hilton owned the uh, Chargers, and he called them and had the very first charge card for the uh, hotels, and that charge card, the Hilton charge card that you had, and he called them the Chargers. <laughs> That's and hilarious. So it started in Los Angeles. That's, <laughs> that is hilarious. It's That's hilarious. Really true. I mean, it's a pretty cool name, though. But yeah, <laughs> it, it is. And they started in L.A. and then moved, but. They had a come to Jesus conversation, man. That is so unspanos like to res- land a guy like Jim Harbaugh. And I respect it. I respect people who aren't afraid to deviate from their original process, especially when they feel like they've hit a wall. I don't like people who double down when, when you look where they when, went from tone Brandon Staley to Jim Harbaugh. That's like going from a Fiat to a Ferrari. Oh, right. Or a Yugo to a Ferrari. <laughs> I mean. Dude, you're kidding me. I, I when, when I saw that last night, I got people started blowing my phone up 
And they go, because I know Jim real well. He coached University of San Diego. Right. And he used the politician for that San Diego State job. He wanted that thing so bad. He was tied into the Spanoses then. And mm. the Spanoses were thinking about hiring him then before Stanford. And I'm like, man, they got Jim Harbaugh. Holy shit, did they make a complete course change. But see, when I look at some of the comments that are being made out of this press conference, there's no course change, Tone. It's yeah, I don't feel question. that. The only course, if, if anything, right? Yeah, but, they took power away. Right, right, right. Uh, all, all we really got from that is they took power away, and they're going to and they're going to go in a different direction from a coordinator perspective. I'm curious to know your perspective on bringing a guy like Vic Fangio in. We haven't had a guy on defense calling plays that experience that experience. Since what Jim Schwartz, Jim Johnson, Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz, because because well, how, how many years has Jim Schwartz been in, in the NFL? How many years? Long time. Long. He was a head coach with the with the Lions for a bit. Right. I remember. I remember those years. That's how that's how I found out about him. The Lions okay, head coach. Here's, here's my only concern. Again, Vic Fangio coming in and being the coordinator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's your what's your thoughts on just okay. him and just the the experience? What's your thoughts on him? How much are they going to let him run the defense? And that's my question because, in my opinion, you don't bring a guy in like that, or he doesn't take that kind of job unless you're going to allow him to do his thing. I think the Eagles are going to get busted for tampering here. Oh yeah, um, it's funny. I was talking to Rob about that, and you know, and I was talking to John about it too. Isn't that something that they would typically do right away? I'm curious because what what, what, what happened here, here, so here, far? Here. They seem to be playing it cool so far. You know what? I think they'll probably be like a sixth or seventh rounder. This is not going to be because again, if the Dolphins were thinking about which they were thinking about possibly replacing him, and there was a conversation because could they block this. him? I I heard I heard this. Get this. I heard Vic hated South Florida. I heard he hated it. He didn't want to live there. But couldn't they, they block him though? What's that? Couldn't they block him? No, completely. What they did, no, but what they did was they parted ways and they wanted to see the landscape because um, they wanted to bring a different guy in because he hated living there. Right. His family hated living down there. It's not, Armando Salguero told me this, okay. is that Vic complained all the time about living in South Florida. He totally hated well, here, you know, the community there and he wanted to come back closer to home. And right. so this is what I feel. I think the Eagles this time, made sure that nothing went sideways regardless and they had a deal on the table with his agent. Okay. And as soon as they parted ways, but he was still under contract when they were negotiating, right, whether right. you were going to release him or not is not the point. The point right. is he was under contract when they were negotiating. That's tampering. That's the same kind of scenario that played out with Jonathan Gannon. He was negotiating with Arizona and they caught Arizona and Arizona and the Eagles had to do some switching up when it came to the draft picks because there was some negotiations going on during the time when he was still under contract. That is tampering. Now, is it going to be a, a major violation, like a third rounder? I don't think so because probably the Dolphins and Steven Ross probably wanted to get out from that deal. Right. So it'll probably be like a sixth or seventh rounder, and something that, like and that. And that's what I was trying to figure out, right? Like, I mean, because obviously it was a setup, but also – they were paying him a lot of money too. Oh, highest paid DC in the league. And for and for them to part ways, I I naturally assume that they could care less what happened after that because again they well, allowed if I get an extra pick tone. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. file for it. Okay, like okay, Arizona okay. did. 
So okay, so that's well, how like it works. The Eagles did for Arizona. Right. Okay. So that's how it works. The team has yeah. to file, and then, the, and then the league has to investigate. And then what they do is both teams will have their company press release that both did. Remember how he was reading mm-hmm. uh, from that press release to uh, right, Mike Florio, right, right? And they went back and forth, and it was a prepared statement. So that and again. It, it, I don't think this is going to be as egregious, but I do think that he was under contract because as soon as he parted ways the next day, he had a contract in front of him. Right. I mean, that's not, and that's not normal. No, it's not normal. Look, look at how many coordinators that you're going through now on the offensive side, you right. know, you knew who you were going to get. And it's so funny. It's so they funny. We, we talk about this because he wanted to come here. Right. And you've, and here's the thing, right? You said something interesting, how, how, how we looked at it, like how they looked at it like this. We're going to get our guy no matter what. Yeah. And I think I think that's exactly what they felt. If, if we if we got to deal with a tampering charge, so be it. We're going to get the D.C. we want. And that's kind of who they've been wanting over the past few years. They've just been trying to find these off-brand versions. Now they got the real McCoy in. They get, you know, they're actually going to start getting the water from the you well. Know why they want Vic? Yeah. Help me understand what's their infatuation with Vic Fangio, in your opinion. Vic doesn't have anything to do with and doesn't really give a shit about personnel. He doesn't ask for players. He puts a scheme together and says, I need the type of player here, here, here. And it's up going to be up to Howie to find that guy to plug him in. So there's certain coaches that will do this. I want Dallas Turner from Alabama, or I want like Nick Casario saying, I'm trading up because I love Will Anderson. Mm. And I see an intangible in that player. Vic, there's some coordinators that the old school guys – they believe in their scheme so much. Just give me the type of player that looks like that, and we'll go with that. Uh, so they believe and in archetypes, it, not and, actual. And that's kind of the coordinators that they like in Philly is the guys that look like that. Because financially, it's easier to, it's easier to cheaper to balance your cap too. Cheaper, right? Hmm. If I can get a guy that looks like Michael Parsons, I don't have to really pay Michael Parsons thirty, but I get a guy like Hassan Reddick that looks like him. Right. I mean, to me, Hassan Reddick is a off version of Michael Parsons. I get the same production out of him. You know, maybe one guy does something better. He covers the passes better, but but Hassan rushes the passer better. So you look at it and you got a trade-off and you go, yeah, but I'm paying 15 here. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys are going to pay 30. So you see what I'm saying, Tone? You look at it like, does that guy look like that guy? Right. It's cheaper. It is cheaper. Yes, and that's how they've operated on defense. And, and, and in theory... It's in th- in theory, it's it's not it's, terrible. It's not no. terrible. In theory, no. it's not terrible. But where they've, in my opinion, where they've gone wrong, but you have to you have to change how, that out every two years, though. Right, right. In, in, in my opinion, where they, where they go wrong is the fact that um, because look, every position in this, look, whenever you're balancing a cap, you got to place values on positions. You have to. It's just the way it works. But where the Eagles go wrong is they've they've taken it too far with how they value the linebacker position. They've taken it too far with how they value safety. They put all their eggs in a defensive line basket, and I get it, but maybe you should invest a teeny bit more, a few extra million in the linebacker position. Maybe That's I don't know. Your cap, you got a fifty million dollar quarterback now. now right, again, right. Still, the beautiful thing about Roseman is those cap hits. I don't really care about the fifty million. I care about the cap hits. Right, and he did a brilliant job on that. That's the only reason I want him in the building. Right, the captain. I don't think he's bad at pro personnel. I think he's good at scouring rosters and finding guys who are undervalued. 
But and I think he's great at putting contracts together and jumping ahead of the gun and getting guys at hometown discounts. I think he's good at that. But when it comes to drafting, I think he's brutal. Um, I think they do a right thing when it comes to the lines. They've made a commitment on that since the owner owned the team since Norman Brayman. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that they do, and it's so predictable. Uh-huh. It's just it's just predictable. By the way, before I go on here, uh-huh. I'm going to get to Jalen here in a minute and what Nick and Howie said about him. Players can be overrated. Is a 667 win percentage and three playoff appearances in a row. And when you watch a guy go one and six down the line this last year, is Nick is is Nick Sirianni overrated as a coach? Oh, it's it's entirely it's entirely possible that Nick Sirianni is overrated. I mean, look, if we're you you kind of laid it up for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Pretty pretty perfectly. If we can call players overrated. Like, do you think Michael Parsons is overrated? Um... Like you can run at him, Tony. He's not very physical. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, right? Because I, I've never put Michael Parsons in the class of me personally. I've never put him in the class of a Miles Garrett or a TJ Watt. I just, I've never have. I feel like I feel like I've always had him properly rated, just how I view how I view it. Um, so I can understand if someone's saying he is overrated when you when you see him in big games like that Green Bay game and he didn't get a single sack or a quarterback hit. Right. That's yeah. That's how that's is that right. possible? You're supposed to be a game yeah, wrecker. Pressure. You're supposed to be a game wrecker. You're supposed to be the, you know, the linchpin on that defensive side. They go through you. And neither you or Demarcus Lawrence were able to register a sack on Jordan Love on that average Green Bay offensive line, a young offensive line at that, maybe a veteran sprinkled here and there. But for the most part, you should have that should have been food for you guys. So I I think I think Michael Parsons, in a way, is overrated in terms of his overall impact on the game, especially when it matters most. You know what I mean? He has limitations. Really good talent. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Not, I think but... I think he's a tremendous talent. But at the end of the day, when it come on, man. Yeah. Like you got you got to show up in those games. I'll tell you what. I see Raddick more show up in games than I do. Um, than I do Parsons showing up in games. I do. I mean, look, he had a he had a rough one down the back stretches that entire defense because they were not using him correctly. I think. Yeah, but I how would say dro- this, how do you drop back? How do you drop Hassan oh, running back let me, let me get seven back. ten times? It doesn't make any sense. Practice. Let me go here with you. So this question was asked three different ways. Hertz and Brian Johnson <laughs> um, asked him about. Uh, someone asked a question, and I heard it. And he goes, "Hey, you're, the involvement. Did you go to Jalen and tell Jalen about Brian Johnson being?" Um, replaced and Nick went into this diatribe that was like this soliloquy where, you know, Hey, you know, we made all these decisions and it was just like, blah, blah, blah noise. And then he was asked again, the question about Brian Johnson, how to Jalen feel you'll have to ask him. So it was almost like they tried to, to avoid the question as much as possible 
There's did Jalen have a problem? I mean, did Jalen have a problem with Brian Johnson being fired, or did he not have a problem, or do the Eagles not want to answer that question? Look, here's the. They what do it- you think? Do you think Jalen? I find it hard that Jalen has a friend for a life, and Jalen's going to blame Brian Jay- Johnson for Jaylen's- all that shit that went on when we hear Nick go. The offense got stale. He did not evolve the offense. It was his offense. It was the same players from a year ago. And then Jalen's going to sit there and go, you blame Brian for that? That's my friend. I think Jalen had a problem with it. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen looked at that situation kind of sideways like, hmm. I think he did now. You know what I mean? But um, I came away from that press conference thinking that Jalen has an ass with that. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen – had questions about that decision. But he's not going to say it publicly. Now, I will say this, though. Jalen also strikes me as the kind of guy that, hey, it is what it is. Business yeah. is business. He no, no, no. Me, he strikes me that kind of guy. He's so. going to be pissed, but he's not going to go public and show his hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen, you know, behind the scenes is like, damn, this wasn't damn, even Damn, you Brian. blamed him for all this shit? Wow. Like, this is my fault and your fault, Nick. It's not just Brian's fault. And then when asked see him saying that, publicly, yeah. hey, man. This is really a tough call here, especially when you're losing really quality people. And then you have what's his name going? Brian Johnson's a great coach. So Brian Johnson's a great coach, but you fired him and you didn't consult Jalen. And Jalen had an ass with it, and he's a great. Co- I, I I just found that to be a convoluted answer, and the way that they went around the business on making sure that they didn't answer that in the right way. But you know, for me, for me, I don't know. Maybe I just know how to answer certain questions, and I don't, <laughs> and, and I don't really get flustered, but. If you ask me, you know, what went into the whole Brian Johnson firing, my response simply would be, well, look, you know, Brian's, you know, Brian's is a good man. Um, you know, during his time here, um, you know, we had, you know, we had some great moments of success, you know, but overall, um, we felt, you know, we felt it was time to go in a different direction. Um, I'm sure Brian's going to land on his feet. Like it's, it's very, it's very, it's very easy to get through certain. Don't sound like you're making sense. Cause that guy doesn't. You know, it's they. I'm telling you, man. Like I, I, I listen to I listen to the reporters' questions because I think it's, sometimes it's sometimes it's hard to hear them. But like I hear their questions, and I'm like, okay, I know you how. You learn answer. a lot from the question, right? And I and I'm like, okay, I know how I answer that. And Remember then I listen. <laughs> when you're asking a question, you're looking for the response and the human response, not just the words they're saying. Exactly. exactly. And their mannerisms. Mm-hmm. And Nick, Nick is have he has. Awful mannerisms because when he doesn't want to answer, watch this. Here's his profile. Okay. Here's a profile that he has. The cost of sores. Men have 23, women have 24 of them. They have body language that they have. Mm-hmm. And his is this when he doesn't like a question, he goes on those soliloquies. Mm-hmm. And when, he over whenever, whenever you catch him, he starts yeah, over explaining. Yeah. Cause you know what he's doing? He's gathering his thoughts. That's exactly While he's what coming up with the bullshit that he here, here's a great always remember this time when you ask a question and someone says, Hey, so what do you make of this? And the guy answers the question, and he goes, Well, when you look at this team, that is a bridge for you to gather yourself, right? Why you're thinking about what the what the Ravens are or the Niners are to give you a chance to gather right. there's your an art, there's an art to expressing yourself. Yes, and you know, you have to you, know, so you, you use certain words as a bridge. So you can gather your thoughts. Like, you know, like you, if you ask me a question. They're actually example, called pantomimes. Right, right, right. You ask me a question. I say, it's funny you ask that question. Yes. Then I, that's exactly yeah, what it, that it is. Gather, it helps you gather your thought. It helps you gather your thoughts. But th- that's, I do it all the time. 
Yeah, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. How about this one here? Okay, so if I told you that a coach had a 670 win percentage and has been to the playoffs three times, has a quarterback who finished second in the MVP voting, yes, last year, two coaches in the last two years that have gone on to be head football coaches, and Nick's saying this, I have to reprove myself, and you won 11 games this year. (laughs) <laughs> dude <laughs> it tells you everything and it tells you everything right. about hey. how they it tells you everything about how they view who's responsible for what because based on everything you said nick sirianni should be okay right he should be okay but guess what the fact of the matter is they don't see him as the one responsible for their recent success they don't they clearly they clearly see him as somebody that requires a, a bit more attention they see him as a. They have to see him as a liability in a way, and that's why they're bringing all these different people in to try to make sure their investment in him looks legit. But the fact of the matter is, uh, Nick Sirianni has no has has no more power, and I have a hard time seeing the bright side of this relationship. Hey, I have a hard here. time. Howie was asked the question, "Why'd you bring Nick back?" That was asked very. That was almost direct. Where you guys? That, that was a direct question, and it was a very subtly low asked question in that I, building. Very low, bro. Okay. Here's how we <laughs> we're bringing Nick back because we have confidence in him. Hey. Or do you have confidence in that he'll do what he's told? I think it's the latter. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I had to ask that. But 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 listen, here's the thing, though, right? You see how simple and concise that answer was? Yeah. Even if you agree or disagree or you have questions about it. Hey, are we brought him back because we have confidence in him? Okay. All right. All right. I can res- I can respect the direct answer. You know what I'm saying? I can respect it. Even, even if I even if I don't agree with it, even if I think you're lying, hey, you were, it was concise, it was to the point. You said what you you said what you said. And all like all I can do is take it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How about this one? How he was asked the question. And said that um, the talent on the team, he said, the cupboard is not bare by far. Yeah, he's, he's, cupboard, he's, he's wrong. He's wrong. Wait, well, you know what he's telling you? He's it's basically so telling us coaching. He's basically telling you he didn't feel they had personnel issues. Yeah. That's basically what he's saying. He's you know? telling you they had no personnel issues, that the, the cupboard's full. What is that on offense only? Because oh, on- whoa, what are you trying to do? Dissect it here a little bit here? I mean, because to me, I look, hey, I heard you guys talking. Well, offense is okay. No, no, man. This is about a 53-man roster. No, you're saying right. about half the team. Because that was the problem this year, was only talking about half the team. The rest of the team was what let you down. That 53-man roster, you're only as strong as the weakest link. On Jimmy that's, told that's me true. this. And, you know, get, get this, Tone. This is how he built teams. Now, no salary cap. Right. It's different. But he said, I wasn't trying to replace the top end of my roster. I was trying to replace the bottom 10% of my roster every day because I'm only going to be as strong as the weakest link on my roster. The bottom, If the bottom 53 guy is the best 53rd guy in the league, my roster's better than yours. Do you believe that's what we're wrong, that's what we're wrong with the Eagles this year? The fact, yes. that, the fact that they kind of – Shortchanged themselves on the, on the back end. They became they became top heavy. They're top heavy. Yeah. Okay. Well, look at where the money is. How about this one? Um, all position coaches right now are being 
this is to your point. All position coaches are being evaluated. We're going through that right now. You know what that means? You know what that means? Nick has no power whatsoever. These coordinators are bringing their coaches in. Of course. Of course. Like, that's why I'm curious to know which direction they go in when it comes to – Or what to, his job is, right? I'm curious to know which direction they're going with the, with the OC because um, do you think they're more likely to go experienced or they're more likely to go um, young, bright, and bushy-tailed? Like, how do you think they're going to approach this? Because they've already gone experienced on the tailor-made OC. And what I mean by that is an OC someone, who's who's capable of who's molding uh, an offense around Jalen. And as get this, here's what I don't want. I don't want an offensive coordinator setting his ways. Right. Okay. I mean, and sometimes that comes with experience, but then you sacrifice experience OCs with experienced position coaches. So you've got to have a trade-off here. You want some experience, Tone, but what you also want is guys got to be able to look at – see, look, every quarterback in the league's different. Mm -hmm. Jalen, um, Allen, and Lamar I'll use. you got to tailor and make offenses completely different than you do for Joe Burrow and Mahomes and for Herbert. Justin. Mm -hmm. The offense in Los Angeles for Justin Herbert couldn't work in – Philadelphia. Yeah, it's two it's different. Two it's different completely, yeah, completely so two different. You've got a set. guy that knows that dynamic, right? That's able to put that kind of stuff together. Now, you know what that means? Different position coaches, less control from the front office. You're not going to have say in analytics, dude. These coordinators are not going to sit there and listen to Anna. You're basically going back to this 2017 model. So and let me ask you, Jim Schwartz and Frank. So. That's interesting because do you think, do you think, you know how we, you know how we said the only way the Eagles can kind of get out of the situation is, is that they have a course change or pivot a little bit. Do you think that's partially yes. what they're doing without, like they're, they're partially doing that without completely that severing ties. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. They're, they're basically doing that, but it's going to be at Nick's expense. Um, they're taking more control of the team. By allowing their hires of coordinators to come in. And I told you yesterday. Well, here's the thing, right? Isn't that sad? Have, Tone, the more you close the gap on Nick and his – last year, Nick had this much to say. Now he has this much to say. Isn't that sad, though, that you're, you're willing to give more autonomy to Vic Fangio and the OC you're bringing in than your own head coach? You trust them to turn it around more so than the guy that's in the building. And, and Hurts. It's not a good look. There's three dudes they're counting on to turn this around. The two coordinators and Hurts. Because mm -hmm. they, they they clearly don't have faith in, in in Sirianni's ability to turn around turn it around or bring in the people necessary to do so. You know why they like him? They like him because they have to like him. If that thing was six and eleven, he'd be out. Yeah. The yeah. only thing that saved him is that he did what they told him to do during the year. Think about that. Because so, if he had really made that call, dude. How many people do this, Tone? Let me put Matt Patricia in. Defense gets worse. Let me fire the coordinator 10 and 2. Let me have my quarterback. I just pay $50 million regress. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me, let me have an offense who had everyone had career numbers, and yet we were one and six down the stretch. You had a defense that fell completely apart. The only reason you keep that job is because somebody was pulling the strings. In any other situation, though all those things that we talked about are grounds to get fired. Right, but you know what's not? These are all your guys' call. 
So and what happens? Way, so then. so going forward. So if he has less power, going forward, like is everything is everything going to be their call from that point forward? You, you get where I'm going? Like okay, if if he has less power now, how is every like? Will everything no, no, no. go through no. these guys going forward? It's just how. Same. So how? Nothing's how, changed. What, what is what is he being held held accountable for then? He's not. So so the record. So, so the so, record. Okay. Okay. There we go. All right. See, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. So the record. The only thing he's been held accountable for is the one loss column. Right. And if that's not matching up, he's out the door. He's not. He's out the door because he has no other job. Got it. Okay. All right. That's well, what think I'm trying about to. That. The only reason he kept the job is because they won 11 games. He didn't keep the job because of decision-making. He didn't keep the job because of the quarterback development. He didn't keep the job because of playoff wins. He didn't think keep about the... this. Seriously, the only thing that was a positive in Sirianni's 2023 year was the one was the one-loss column. was the one-loss record. Outside of that, every decision they made was wrong. Because every time Nick was criticized or anything was asked about Nick, how he kept resorting back to, well, you know, um, three playoff appearances in a row. Um, Oh, a, a 60% plus one percentage or whatever. Like he kept, he, he kept doubling down on these, these metrics to prove Nick Sirianni's value. But other than that, I don't think he, I don't think he indicated anything outside of those metrics, what his value is. And don't remember, and don't forget, I know what I'm doing. Cause I'm Harvey Roseman. 17 Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, drop that nugget on you there. Oh, All right. my God, man. Oh, That's I'm going to get Angelo Cataldi on here in a minute. Yes, sir. Great it's always fun. Always. Hey, man, I'm glad you I'm glad you saw that. And by the way, man, no disrespect to anybody, but and I'm not going to say anything because you're here, but I will say this. I don't give a shit if those guys were humbled. <laughs> you know, it's fun, real quick, it's funny you say that. Because hey, I, I don't he care. Looked, How you feeling, kid? No, like he looked – like I don't care either, by the way, but – Let's be honest. Nick looked like somebody took his basketball. Oh no, he put looked it on like the, he had a red fanny and, and put it on the top <laughs> shelf. <laughs> hey, you know, your pop took the switch out, took it off the tree, and took it off the willow. Yo, and he man. came over and yo, drop your pants there. Nick looks like he's got a couple swats across the backside there, man. And he was biting on a bone. <laughs> hey, sorry, I've been there a little bit. Oh, okay, man. I'm just saying, man. I mean. Hey, Lord sister Judith Marjorie Fish. She used to she used to paddle me in Catholic High, and okay, she'd have the this Marjorie Fish. She had these gigantic arms. She came from like a um a prison, and she was a nun. What? She used to hollow out her paddle, and she used to hollow it out, and all you would hear is doesn't, doesn't that like, make you go oh faster? Like, like how it's hitting you. How it out? Doesn't that make it go faster? Like it catches oh, the air. Oh, go faster right through the air, man. And then it hit your ass, man. Oh, boy, I tell you what, it shook you like you were bit by bees. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, I appreciate it, brother. Thank As you, my always, friend. sir. Yes, sir. You got it. All right. We are going to have our friend Angelo Cataldi join us. Please hit the like button. Keep it here, National Football Show. Hooters, the perfect pair.
Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Show appreciate you coming aboard. Angelo Cataldi is going to join us here in a couple minutes, and we'll get his thoughts on the fireside shot. I just saw that Chuck Pagano, former head coach of the Colts and former coach of mine, was on with Pat McAfee. I just reached out to him, and I'm going to get him on because he's very good friends with Vic Fangio, and he knows him very well. And, and I knew his brother, John Pagano, too, who was also a coordinator in the NFL and was the coordinator of the Chargers at one time. And he's very well connected. And we'll bring him on because I think he's actually worked with uh, Vic Fangio. And those guys work together a little bit. He may have – Vic Fangio may have actually worked for Chuck when, when Chuck was a head football coach. So I'm working on that. So we'll get him on. Cancer survivor. Hey, yo. You want to hear a crazy story? So Chuck Pagano, on Jimmy Johnson's coaching staff at the University of Miami, when we had all those great coaches who went on to coach the Dallas Cowboys and win those three Super Bowls, and they won a national championship at Miami, obviously. Do you know who our GAs were, Yale? Check this out. You know who a GA is? Those are guys that come in and kind of get coaches coffee. They break down game film. They pass out um, playbooks, game plans. They do really the grunt work. And then they do bed checks when the players are on the road or when you are at home and the coaches will come by to do bed checks. Do you know who our GA graduate assistants were? Thank you. You know who our graduate assistants were? Tommy Tuberville and Chuck Pagano. Those were the guys that were coming by and checking bed checks. That's how great assistant coaches Jimmy had. His GAs 
were former NFL and college football coaches that would go on and do things. One's a senator now. This guy was a – Tommy Tuberville was a – yeah, he's a U.S. senator. He was a former Auburn coach. Coached at Miami for – I love Coach Tuberville. You know, politics aside, he was phenomenal with me. And so was Coach Pagano. I got a great picture of all of us together. I mean, that was some coaching staff. Some of the greatest coaches of all time in college football history. But Jimmy came on here numerous times and told you guys this. You're not going to be successful if you don't have really great coaches and assistant coaches. And this is why they're going down the line of hiring qualified coordinators. That's the thing you t- – listen, I'll tell you what. Let's let's take Nick out of the conversation for a second. And here's the po- – you know what? I asked you guys about the positives that came out of this, and Tone kind of broached it too. Here's the positive. If you're going to bring quality coordinators in and you're going to bring in coordinators that are going to have a say in what kind of scheme you're going to run, well, the only way you can run their scheme is with their style of coaches at their positions. That's why when Nick came out today and said, or yesterday, came out and said that our position coaches right now that we have under contract, everything's being evaluated right now. That means this, you're going to have to have a meeting with those coordinators. And if those coordinators feel it that you're in the best interest for them and that you can execute their game plan, you're staying. If You know what? It's almost like they're going to be – it's almost like two head coaches are being hired in Philly. And it's almost like every one of those position coaches, Nick's not going to have a say if they're staying or not. Think about that. Just think about that for a second. He's not going to have any say in the – that's what you take away from that. Yeah, we're still evaluating, you know, whether or not our coaches and our assistants, they're telling you right there, if these coordinators don't want them, they're not here. And that means Nick has to fire people that he doesn't want to hire. fire. That means he has no power. That means he has no power. Now, I would find it I would find it shocking that an old coordinator would not want Jeff Stoutland in the building. Stoutland, Bill Callahan, guys like that are the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. Hey, maybe Jeff Stoutland doesn't want it. Now, again, I would have to think. Kyle goes to Stoutland safe. I would have to think that when they're interviewing coordinators, one of the conversations in there is that, listen, I know you guys want to bring in your own coaching staff and you guys want to bring in the people that you want to execute your offensive game plan and the approach. But we want to Jeff Stoutland. Okay? That would be my take. Well, I'll just tell you this. That thing we saw yesterday was an abomination. It was just a, it was 35 minutes of lying. I called it the fireside chat. (laughs) It was a little bit of a fireside chat. And I could not wait for Angelo Cataldi 
People have been killing me here because guess why? I've called your guy a puppet. He's called this guy a puppet. And remember, folks, Philadelphia Sports Talk Bible. You want to know how to get under Philadelphia sports fans' skin? Page 133. <laughs> here he is right here. Angelo, I could not wait for you. Well, I got to tell you, Dan, I uh, I was so excited about this news conference. You know, we, we waited two weeks for it because there was uh, three inches of snow on the ground. We couldn't hold it then. We, there's all this speculation, but uh, nobody emerges from the Eagles' uh, ivory tower for almost two weeks. We And I wrote on my blog, on my website, AngeloCatali.com, I wrote, I know this for sure because I've been watching these things for a long time with the uh, Jeff Lurie, Howie Roseman uh, organization. I said, make sure you bring your boots because they're going to pile the manure high. Now, I, there are no boots big enough to get through the manure you were shoveled yesterday. This was some of the most outrageous re... There's, Here's the great part of that whole news coverage, Dan. At the end of it, you went, why did they keep Sirianni? I, I, I just, wait a minute, hold on. He's not going to be involved in the offense anymore. They're bringing in a new guy because they're on the record saying that his offense after three years got stale. Right? He had no new ideas after three years. And he was brought in as an offensive innovator, right? He's not going to do defense. He may show up at a meeting once in a while, but they're not going to do that. And he's on the record saying, you know, he doesn't get involved in special teams. So he's there for the culture, right? The culture is the what he's now, they're calling him the CEO, right? Uh, and, and I'm going, well, the culture, the, they fell apart. They were one in six. They fell apart in, in, Troy Aikman in the playoff game said they were dead before they started the game. They were dead. There was no, they couldn't tackle. They couldn't, they didn't care. They were, they were done. Isn't that the culture? That's him. Why is he back there? Why is Nick Sirianni getting a fourth year when he has proven himself to be a failure in the biggest moment of the season? I want to I want to throw these at you, Angelo. I have written down a couple of responses from Nick and from Howie, and I want to get your takes on this. Sure. You had eight days for that, and I was with you there. I'm like, okay, there were so many lies. One of the first things he says, we're changing some direction in our offensive scheme. Brian Johnson was a great coach. <laughs> But we're looking for new direction. <laughs> time out. Time out. Only the Eagles, right, have the gall, the unmitigated gall, Dan Saleo, to fire a man and then say he was great. If he's not great, you should have named the head coach. Great. Ten times in the playoff game. Ten times on blitzes. A blitzer got through with no block, un, absolutely unattended shot, 
right at the quarterback. This is great coaching. This is what we're supposed to believe. You don't even believe it. Of course I don't. Not at all. They fired him and then said he was great. He's a great coach. What was was the exact phrasing of this? And Hmm. how about this one here? Angelo, in all of your years, covering even Rich Kotai or anybody that's ever been in that position to be the Eagles coach, have you ever heard a question from a reporter to a head coach? What's your job? Yeah, that was the right question. It was the wrong answer because there is no answer. Once you have removed him from the offensive equation, once he is not part of the offense because it was a failure by his own admission, it got stale. Once you've taken him out of that, and we know he has no expertise in defense, there's no reason for him to be here. None. No reason. Now, you know where this is going, Dan. Oh, they, yeah. They are going to have a lousy season next season. I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings. They're going to have a losing season next year. They're going to lose more games than they win, and they're going to fire Nick Sirianni. And every one of you out there who are somehow behind him, you will all suddenly realize that they wasted a year of your life. Absolutely. They wasted one year of your life. They could have brought in somebody who knows football like Mike Vrabel and redo the whole thing. The one reason why Nick Sirianni is still here. And if people want to give me the backlash, come and get it. All right? Because he's a puppet. He kissed the ring, Angelo. He kissed the ring. I have high-definition television, and I watch the news conference. And Sirianni, in the role of Pinocchio, (laughs) was right there as a puppet. And and he said it was entirely his decision to demote Desai Desai, and bring in Patricia. God, strike me down dead right this second. If I'm not saying that that's BS. Total BS. That was, that had all the fingerprints of Lurie and and uh, I, I want to lead you with that here to this, Angelo. Because Howie was asked that, and I wrote it down here off the transcript. Howie said, that was next call. Okay. Mistake number 758. Howie was asked the question, about the talent on defense, and I'm going to tie this in. He said this, we have a lot of great young talent on defense. And I said, like who? And then he went, I love N'Kobe Dean. I'm like, N'Kobe Dean can't stay healthy, and he's proven absolutely nothing. Then they went, Zach Cunningham had a great year. And so my point is to to you now, here, Angelo, so what Howie is basically telling you is, this is not a personnel issue. This is a coaching issue. Right. How does Sirianni have the job? There's no good reason. It's not logical. It's not logical, Dan. You understand? He said, here's the next thing. All right, so let's just say that it was Sirianni's decision to go from the side to uh, Patricia, right? Who brought Patricia into the organization? Sirianni or the bosses? The bosses did. The bosses did. Why? Because he was a plan B. If something went wrong on defense, they had the guy there to bring in. If I was still on the air, based on what I've now witnessed, Dan Saleh, 
I would be holding a Matt Patricia Appreciation Day at WIP Radio, and I'll tell you why. Because if that hat was not on the sideline six years ago, when the Eagles faced the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, the Eagles would have lost. And I also have a call into the Vatican because watching Howie Roseman and watching this team operate, I am suggesting to the Pope that Nick Foles and Doug Peterson be considered for sainthood because that's two miracles, one for each of them, that they won that championship with that ownership. They they don't have a clue what they're doing. Do you understand, Dan? Yeah. They don't have a clue. And it, I mean, it's a deflect. They deflected everything. They deflected everything yesterday, Angela. It was awful. It was just such BS. And it's all, this would have even happened if they still had the PR guy they used to have there. Uh, What's his name? I forgot his name now, but uh, uh, the guys they got now, uh, they're just made. Derek Boyko is the great PR guy. The people they got there now are typical PR mouthpiece flax, and they don't care about the truth. But here's the problem. It's Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The fans know. The fans who are smart enough to watch this debacle, they know what happened. They saw it as it happened. They knew it was over before the team knew it was over. And what they were sold yesterday was bullshit. I'll say it. And I know you, I can say, I oh, would yeah. never say, it was bullshit. All of it. It was a disgrace. Shame on every one of them that they did that to the, the fans of this city. The fans deserve better than what they got yesterday. A lot better. Amen to you on this, here, Angela. This is awesome. Let me throw this at you here. They were asked the question, both of them, about the firing of Brian Johnson. And I don't know if you read into this like I did. To me, they were asked, how did Jalen take it? And Nick went on some soliloquy, and I was like, dude, just answer the freaking thing, man. And then how he had to jump in because he had to save him because this guy's so uncomfortable behind the mic. Then he was asked a third time, you'll have to ask Jalen. I'm wondering, maybe that's what the rub was between Nick and the owners that, get this, you fired a guy and you blamed that guy for all of your problem with the offense going stale, you're meddling in the offense, you not putting proper people in proper positions to succeed on defense, and you're blaming Brian Johnson? Yeah. Shit, Angelo. I mean, at the end of the day here, I don't know if Brian Johnson's a good coach or not a good coach. All I know is this guy never had a chance of succeeding because they, they were yeah. they were constantly meddling. I don't I have no idea who did what on that offense, but it was right. a mess by the end of the season. Right. Here's what I can tell you. And this is another thing. I've had a lot of a debate with uh my emailers all the time or constantly emailing me. And here's I give almost none of the blame to Jalen Hurts. He did not have a good season. He made bad decisions. Watch what he did. How many times in a game did he drop back and then have to flush out of the pocket and throw the ball away? How many times? I would wager more than any other team in the NFL. He was blitzed the most. All right? More than any other. Why? Because they didn't have plays that, that played to the strength of the offense and expose the weaknesses of the defense. They game planned horribly, all right? 
No, don't blame Hurts. If you're out there, don't blame Hurts. He showed you what he could do the year before when Shane Steichen was called to plays. He showed you what he could do when he had good coaching. Put the guy with some good coaches. Brian, I don't think I don't think Johnson was a good coach. I but I can't be sure. Right. I don't know how involved Sirianni was. The fact that Sirianni has removed himself from the equation is, is suggests to me he demoted himself. He said, I clearly was not getting the right what I needed to get out of my offense. So I'm demoting myself away from the offense. So here's what he's done in three years. He took away his own play calling. He knows he wasn't good at that. Then he took away now his powers over the offense. He never had powers over the defense. And he's still a head coach. How does any of that make sense? It just doesn't make sense. Unless one thing that you taught me, the control factor in that building is the most important thing for management, for them to be able to run the team the way they see fit. If they have that, they're comfortable with him because as long as he's a guy that kisses the Pope's ring, mm. Angelo, he's he's the perfect kind of coach because you can't have a guy walking in. And to your point, look at what the Chargers just did. They changed course direction. They were so centric on their GMs, A.J. Smith, or having Tom Telesco in there, that the Spanos family fired all of that. They hired a guy who they just paid $50 million at the quarterback, the best possible candidate for him to move him to the next direction. You leave Nick Sirianni for Jalen Hurts. How comfortable and confident are you that they're going to put the proper people around Jalen to elevate his game? That's a very, very good question, Dan. And I can only say this, all right? The fact that within a day, they were back in in touch with Vic Fangio and were doing a deal for defensive coordinator. Why do you think that is? Well, Fangio this year in Miami had, according to, this is just yards gained against his defense. They were 19th, all right? Miami shed no tears when Vic Fangio said he wanted to come back here. None. Fangio was a consultant to the Eagles during the playoffs, including that Super Bowl debacle in the second half. Fangio's here for one reason. Because Roseman and Lurie like the style, the scheme he has defensively, which is bend but don't break. It's we'll give you the short stuff we're preventing against big plays. Fangio is only back because that's the scheme they want to run. It's not Sirianni's scheme. That's the scheme of the owner and and the general manager. That's why he's here. So whoever they bring in for the offensive coordinator, He's going to be the guy that they want to, exactly what they want to run offensively. It comes from the top. Always comes from the top. This has never been as much an owner GM run team as it is right now with a coach in place who's a total puppet for whatever they want him to do and a mouthpiece who's willing to look into the camera like he did yesterday and lie, just blatant lie to keep his job. This is the difference between him and Peterson. When when it got to push or shove with Peterson, he said, no, it's going to, I want to do it my way. I'm not, I want a Super Bowl. I deserve that chance. And they said, get out. And then Sirianni came in last week and they said, what are you going to do? And he goes, whatever you need, I'm here to serve you, my Lord. And he would do whatever they tell him to do. It's Angelo, a, do you believe? I have no, I have no confidence, and I have no respect for Sirianni 
after what he had. He basically sold his soul to keep his job. It's not going to work anyway. Angelo, do you believe these new coordinators? Because when you hire experienced coordinators like that, and you say that's the system they want, right? when you hire people like that, those people want to bring their own people in. And they're going to want to bring, because again, you can get a younger guy and kind of pick him. But do you think management's still going to be involved in the position coaches? No, they won't. They will let the coordinators bring in who they want. So that closes the box then on Nick now, where really he really doesn't have a real job title now for him. Exactly. No, they are going to allow these coordinators to bring their people in. They'll keep a couple of their own guys around, you know, like office snitches, that kind of stuff. But they'll let these guys bring it in. So Sirianni will be presiding over a group of coaches, few of few of any of which he actually has signed off on. He's not, he's doing nothing. He's just sitting there, probably still acting like a boob on the sideline during games. I don't know what else he's doing. I'm telling you, it's just most. Most people who are NFL coach, regardless of how they got there, have enough self-respect to say, if this is really the role you want me to do, I'm not really your coach. I'm just, I'm just your mouthpiece. You think he should have resigned like Doug? Well, yeah, he should, or he, or, or he should have made them fire him and say, no, I'm not doing it. And then they fire him, and whatever he's got left out of his contract, they got to pay him. Two years. I would do that. I would make them fire me. I wouldn't resign. Because uh, you know he deserves to. He had to. He made the playoffs all three years on his contract. Right? But you can't lose six out of seven the way they did, and then acknowledge on the that we are we need a ton of changes here, but not the head coach. How about this, Angelo? Have you ever in your life ever covered a coach in Philadelphia, no matter what the sport is, with a six seventy win percentage? Been to the playoffs three years in a row. Had two coaches last year go and become head football coaches. Ever get clipped like this and have been this, like, I mean, have his powers taken like this? I mean, like you said, he's a figurehead coach now. He's not really even a coach any longer. He's more of a, like like, like a department head. Yeah. I had a great um, advantage. In the years that I was at WIP, especially the last after the Andy Reid tenure, when I got to interview the coach one on one after every game, right? He would come on the day after the game and I would get to talk to him. And um, Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson, um, Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni never impressed me as being a, a big thinker. He had a lot of really um, kind of like, um, these sayings and stuff about. I thought he was dope. Yeah, and all these things he did that he picked up on coaching, like you know, every day is a new day, and we got to win the day, and we got the dog analogies, the flower analogies, all that stuff. None of it resonated at all with me. I always said to myself, I said to my coworkers, we would say this after we did an interview with him. We would go, "It's amazing that guy's winning." He just, doesn't right. seem, he just doesn't seem smart. He do, he's not a good speaker. He's not a good communicator. He's, he's programmed. He's just programmed. And it's like, 
it's amazing that he's winning. And then he stopped winning. And then you suddenly went, oh, all right. I don't know how he did all that winning, but I know now why he's losing. Because he doesn't know what the hell to do. Didn't know what to do. Had no answers during that whole collapse in the second half of the season. Had no answers. And they bring him back because now he's got answers? No. Because now he's staying out of the way, and we're going to bring in people who know how to run offenses and defense. There's no reason to have a head coach. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. It's never been clearer that the head coach of the Eagles, as of right now, is nothing more than Pinocchio, and Jeff Lurie is Geppetto. That's where we are. And just watch their noses continue to grow as they lie to the fans. Angelo, there's a, there's you you help me on this. It just seems that every time there's a meltdown, the fast and low hanging fruit is to go to the quarterback. There's stories out there now. Yeah, wrong. And there's all kinds of how about this? Small whispers. And to me, I I I had Barrett Brooks on the other day, and yeah. he mentioned something, and that's that story, according to some, was kind of disputed. Britton Covey had a problem. With, with it being said, now I get it. Player walked a lot of players this year walked a lot of stuff back. However, I'm in the camp. I have to see more, okay, to believe it. I saw a story by Joe, and I was thinking to myself, is this just what they do in Philly? What's your take on the leadership conversation about Jalen Hurts? Do you think that's made up? Do you think that it's just low-hanging fruit for people to go to because they went one and six down the line? Jalen Hurts is a terrific leader. Jalen Hurts inspires the people that play for him, the, especially the really important ones, A.J. Brown, uh, Devontae Smith. Yeah, they have disputes on sideline. They have heat of battle, that kind of thing. I have no reluctance to tell you that Jalen Hurts is the long-term answer at that key position on the team. None whatsoever. I've seen him. I've talked to him. I see the way he conducts himself. He's a, He knows what he's doing. What he is holding in right now is a deep frustration that a year of his career was squandered by stupid coaching, by coaching that did not in any way bring out the things he brings to a team. And he he is not people. He is not your problem. The problem is the coaching. The problem is the ownership. The problem is the GM right now. That The other stuff is way down the list. You've got leaders all over the place on that team, and there was no leadership at the end because the coaching failed. That even at the by the end, Dan, even the guys that cared the most, the people like Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey, they saw the writing on the wall. They saw what they saw what happened to their team, and they know. And nobody harbors more ill will about what happened this year than Jalen Hurts himself. Because Jalen Hurts in 2022 had established himself is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And his retraction this week, this year, going back, his regression this year is not his fault, in my opinion. Here, here's here's something else, too, again. And what, what frightens you, did they put, after Frank Reich left, did they help Doug put proper people around Wentz? Or do you see some of the same similarities? Mm -hmm. And by the way, I'm not comparing both guys. They're completely yeah. different dudes. However, right. I'm talking about management, Angelo, on mm -hmm. how they operate. Because it seems that they took the Doug Peterson playbook out eight days, evaluate everybody, coaching meetings. 
talking to players, fireside chat yesterday. It looked like the Doug Peterson playbook yeah. and now coordinators. I mean, it just I'm concerned about Jalen going forward with that ownership. Yeah. I, I think it'd be fine if they bring in a, a guy to run the offense who knows how to run an offense. He's smart. Uh, you would think there's a lot of guys out there who are offensive-minded coaches who would love to work with a quarterback who does not speak out of turn, doesn't go crazy, doesn't make a spectacle of himself the way Aaron Rodgers does, who is coachable, is a good leader, is smart, is fast, is has a good arm. He's He checks all the boxes with a good coach. You started in 2022. That wasn't a mirage. He'll do it again if he has a coach like Shane Steichen. He didn't have it this year. I hope they will find somebody who enhances what he brings to the table. He's not the problem. The offensive line worries me. They weren't that good this year. That story has completely been lost. That guy ran for his life half the season. Nobody knew how to pick up a blitz. That was outrageous. They never figured out how to pick up a blitz. What's, we got that head coach. He's an offensive guy. Didn't know how to pick up a blitz. He let Tampa run him a muck. Really? No, this whole – look, I'm not always right. Hell knows. I was wrong so much in 33 years, it's mind-boggling. But I've never seen a clearer story than this about bad coaching and bad ownership, and that's what you're watching right now. What you saw yesterday at that dog and pony show they called a press conference was one of the most embarrassing – it was as bad as the first news conference by Sirianni when he came here. That's how bad it was. Because it was like two take. guys that didn't even know what the hell to say. That's that's oh, fabulous awful. take. Couple last questions for you. Two last questions, Angelo. Um, what's the owner's position in this? Where's where's he in this? Because it's like you know, the rest of these guys are falling on swords. The rest of these guys are being scapegoats. The position coaches. What's his involvement in this here? With what what he's waving around and wanting to accomplish. I mean, like that press conference, like you said, Angelo. That press conference yesterday, right. why have it? All right. Well, here's the thing. Notice the owner was not there. The owner will own, only poke his head out to take uh, uh, praise from people when his team is doing well. This is not – this is one of the reasons I've never liked Jeff Lurie because he doesn't face the music. He doesn't come out. He'll only come out when he's got something to pontificate about, about what a brilliant – the worst thing that happened. And the Jeff Lurie ownership of the Eagles, believe it or not, is that they won a Super Bowl. It was a miracle that they won it. But it reinforced in his mind, in his world, Lurie surrounds himself with yes men. If you're not kissing his ass twice a day and three times on Sunday, you don't stick around. You got to constantly tell him he's right. All right. And this guy, after they won a Super Bowl, convinced himself he was a brilliant football guy and he took more and more control of the team and he found more people to serve as his puppets and now he's got his son in there doing all the analytics stuff which is another problem entirely and you're seeing now an ego that is gone off the cliff and then they lost they were 10 and 1 and then they lost and Jeff's going well I know one thing None of this was my fault. Stop bringing in all the people we have to get rid of. 
I am still a brilliant football mind. He never was. He never will be. He's a billionaire owner who should have stayed the hell out of the way. And he's not going to do that. And we're doomed because of it. How how about this, Angelo? Finally here. Um, I think one of the reasons that 17 win was detrimental also to your organization was the only guy in the building outside the owner that has the equity. Because if you noticed that that dog and pony show yesterday, it's smart because you and I know professional answering of questions and asking of questions. He didn't use the equity of the 17th Super Bowl until someone questioned the personnel. He goes, we know what we're doing because yeah. we did it in 17. You right. and I know you don't start the, you don't, you don't throw all your right. chips in the middle of the table at the beginning of it. You do right. it at the end when you have to pull that out. The only guy in the building that has that Nick doesn't have that. That's why he can't survive. What's going on right now with one and six? How we can is that? Do you agree with that? That the only reason that he has been given that power is because he's really gotten rid of everybody and insulated himself yep. with people around him that in that organization not only say that to the owner but say that also to the GM. Look, how he's had a lot of great times. He's had some bad ones. How he is a puppet in his own way. Howie is also a guy who just does what Lurie wants him to do. Now, he's got more power than the coach does, but he's still a guy who basically Lurie tells him, this is what I want, and he does it. It's the same kind of thing. But I want to be clear on one thing, because people are going to think now that you and I are saying that 2017 was damaging to the future of the team. Yeah, it probably was. But I wouldn't trade it for anything that ever happened in my life as a sports fan. Dan, to this day, this week, I got an email from someone telling me a story about how his father hung on at the end of that season to be alive when the Eagles won and how it kept him alive. No championship in any city ever meant more than 2017 Super Bowl win by the Eagles. I wouldn't trade that for anything. The problem is you had people in charge who got lucky one year and thought they invented football. And we're going to pay the price for that for a really long time. Well, Angelo, that right there, I think you're just saying organizationally, it was detrimental. But to the culture of the city and to the fan base, who had yeah. been waiting since 1960 and Tommy yeah. McDonald and guys, mm. that was one of the greatest, probably the greatest moment um, in Philadelphia Eagles sports history. Maybe the 83 Sixers, the Flyers, those Philly teams that won some titles. But I got to think that 2017 team winning that championship, Angelo, for you had mm. to be the greatest moment in Philadelphia sports history since 1960. For me and millions, millions of people who to this day, will just hold that to their chests and say they can't ever take it away. We won a championship. The parade, Kelsey at the rally, all of it. Uh, I'm sorry that whenever I'm down, I think of that that whole, those two months. It was really two months from the time that they won that game to two months after. It was the highest high that I could ever see any city ever having. Let me, let me ask you one question, one more last question for you on that. When the time was ticking off and it was evident, 
that the Eagles had done that. Were you in disbelief? Did you believe it? What were, what were your thoughts when you saw that they had beaten Belichick and Brady uh, and you knew that they were winning a Super Bowl? Was it a surreal feeling for you that they had finally accomplished that? When the ball hit the ground on that um, Hail Mary, because even to that moment, I was fearful something would go wrong. I didn't, go, I didn't jump up and down. I didn't go crazy. I sat there and just absorbed the feeling because I never thought I would in all the years I was at WIP, I never thought I'd get to experience that. It's the ultimate. The Eagles are the most important team in our city and they won the championship. And to this day, all these years later, it's six years now. I go back to that moment over and over again, not because of the jubilation of it, just for the sense of relief that all of that time that we waited, we got rewarded. We won. All the pain we went through, we won. They can't ever take that away. We won. And that's why when they got rid of Doug Peterson, I was infuriated because he won it. He was the number one reason. He had the boldness to do things. And Nick Foles, they wouldn't have won it with Wentz. They won it with Foles. All those people will always be immortalized to me in that they brought us the greatest gift we ever had as a fan base. And I got to talk to thousands of people in the years since then. And it's the greatest thing that ever happened in our city. The Is that the number one thing that's brought up to you now that you're going all around on your book tour here? And all the time. This great book. Is that the thing they talk about as all 17? Dan, all the time. Everybody's got a personal story about what happened in the moment you just took us to. That last play. And then the feeling. And... um. The, you know, that's why I get so frustrated now because I want it again. We, yeah. we deserve it again. You know, we've had one since 1960. We could it'd be okay for us to have another one. <laughs> happen when Nick Sirianni is on the sideline, I guarantee no. you that. You no. had your shot last year and you blew it. Yeah. And no, you're not winning a Super Bowl unless that guy's can. It, it's going to be a while now, Dan, and that's, that's the hard thing. Remember I, I told you, Angelo, I yeah. said – I made a prediction to you a couple of weeks ago that you're going to be a five-win team in two years. Yeah. You're expediting that and saying oh, that yeah. this is going to be a horrible year next year. Take the under on whatever the win-loss total is. Take the under. They're not going to have a good season next year. And then I just want to thank you for how generous you've been and getting me on. Thank you. All these sports. It's been a, a trip. And I just want to tell all the people that already watch you, and it's lots and lots of people because I've heard from them. This is a guy who tells a story. He tells you the truth. This guy understands football, and he tells it straight. And listen to Dan Saleo. I, I would just love to just hand the ball off to you, my friend. Because oh. I think you are most the style that I enjoyed for all the years oh I did God. It. telling it straight and not giving a damn what the team or the coaches or the players, what any of them think. That's the I'm greatest compliment. i all to Dan Saleo. Dan, you're awesome. You Dan, hey, Angelo, that's the greatest compliment I've ever had in my broadcasting career. Thank well, you very much. Folks, do me a favor. Please get the book. Angelo, I won't harass you for Another four weeks. <laughs> oh, well, you know me, Dan. Uh, it's not like I got a lot going on. Here. So Please let me get know. the book. Angelo, Thanks. thank you, my friend. I really Thanks. appreciate it. God bless you, Angelo. Thanks. Okay.
Thank you, Tone. Okay. Um, Tone said this, I cried in my father's arms when we won it. That's why I go so hard when this team screws up. Yeah. It's quite a compliment. Randy Cross will join us. We'll kind of switch gears a little bit and talk some NFC championship. Tomorrow we'll talk to Kadri Ishmael too. We'll talk a little bit of the Ravens versus the Chiefs. Hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. and Hooters, the perfect pair. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamutton Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. to tell you man that was it's quite an interview and to have angelo cataldi tell me that 
he'd like to pass the baton and the torch to me. You know, it probably doesn't mean anything to you guys. Uh, some of you guys, it might, because you guys listen to him for all your life. Most of you were raised by him when you're talking sports talk. But see, a lot of people don't put those compliments at me. And to hear him saying that you do shows like me, I'm like, it's quite a compliment to say that he would like to pass the torch to me. Thank you, Angelo. Look at, look at what I love here about I'm awake or you. This guy gives me as much shit as anybody. You Philly people are sensational. Every single one of you that I give shit to and you give shit to me. You're the best group of people. And by the way, those of you not from Philly that watch the show. Um, I appreciate it. I think Eagle fans work hard, play hard, love hard, and bitch hard. You know, Greasy, that's funny. That's me too. Has that been confirmed? Raheem Morris is the um, head coach of the Falcons. Yeah, that was a very nice compliment. Is Raheem the head football coach? Has he been named the Atlanta Falcons? You know why he's named the Atlanta Falcons head coach? Rich McKay's in the building, and he was in Tampa, and there's a connection there. I want to show you guys something that I don't really like to do. Okay. Oh, God, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. God forbid that's great news. Okay. I can't really show you his number, but there's Raheem Morris on my cell phone. After this program, I'll text him. Hopefully get him on. Fantastic. I swear to you guys, I was so mean to him when I first met him. I'm going to post some pictures of me and him together. We used to have lunch every day when he was the head coach. And I did this, I swear to you. I put up a piece of paper just like this. And I went like this. I go, um, you know what this is? He goes, what? I go, it's your resume. What makes you qualified to be the head football coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? He goes, Dan, I don't know. And I go, did you think you were getting fired? Because they had just fired John Gruden. Did you, did you think you were getting fired? He goes, yes, I did. He's just so young then. I didn't think he was qualified. And I told him. Didn't have a very good stint. But you know what he was? He was genuine and honest. Unlike that bullshit show you saw yesterday. Atlanta got a quality man. Whew. Man, what a great hire. Shit, you have no idea what kind of great man that is. Players are going to play for him. They, he's more experienced. He's more worldly. There's going to be more opportunities for African-American assistant coaches. McKay's in the building, going to give him everything he needs. The president of the team. Arthur Blank's going to give him everything he needs. What does that mean for Belichick? What's left? Seattle and Washington? Uh, Vrabel's getting one of these jobs. 
Okay. Now Vrabel still owed money on his contract. Okay. He still owed money. I don't know if Bill is too. Bill maybe owed some money. Okay. Raheem's a great coach. Eagles press conference was 2024 version of the Muppet show. <laughs> Man. Wow. Congratulations to Raheem Morris. That is an absolutely fantastic hire. Boy, man, Angelo went knee deep into these guys. You know what Tone was saying behind the scenes? He's like, that's why I missed that guy doing morning drive on WIP. He called it out. He surely did. He surely did. And you, you, know, you know what's telling about some of these hires? Is that look at the quality coaching that you're getting hired now. Raheem Morris beat out Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel to get the head coaching position in Atlanta. You got a coach now in Los Angeles and Jim Harbaugh. You're going to get a quality coach in Washington and in Seattle. There's, there's not enough chairs for all these quality guys. That's when you know you have a strong market. And you kept that guy? Raheem Morris can run circles around that guy. You know why? He's trustworthy. You respect him. How could you possibly come away from that press conference yesterday and respect anything that came out of that press conference? How could you possibly? How could you possibly come out of that? Angelo called it a dog and pony show. Raheem would laugh at Lori. You know what Raheem would do? He wouldn't laugh at him. You know what he would try to do? He would try to sell him on his philosophy of why they should do something. He wouldn't be combative. That's the kind of guy he is. You know what I'm saying, Tone? He's not a guy that's going to go, fuck that. He's the guy that's going to do this. This is why we have to do this. This is why we need to do this. This is why we need to hire this assistant. He knows more than me. He's more qualified than me. Do you know what Raheem's going to do immediately? There's going to be a quality offensive coordinator that's going to be hired. Hey, don't be shocked if Brian Johnson gets the job in Atlanta and Raheem brings him down there. I would not be shocked because I know they know each other. I would not be shocked if Brian Johnson gets the Atlantic offensive coordinating job or he's on that staff in some capacity like a quarterback coach or what have you. Yeah, I promise you. Keep an eye on that one. Okay? I just want to thank once again. Angelo just sent me a great text. Saying that he wants to pass the baton to Big Sills. Thank you very much, Angelo. It means a lot. Coming from the number one sports talk guy in the history of Philadelphia. Thank you again, sir. He watches the show and 
He watches it loyally too. So we thank him for that compliment. Really great. All right. Let's reset here a little bit before we get on Randy Cross. We're going to talk a little NFC championship. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. The owner of three, three Super Bowls. The job that Brock, Brock Purdy, by the way, is up for the MVP award along with Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson. Those are your three candidates for the most valuable player. Um, <clears throat> no question about it. That's going to be a telling game. It's going to be an interesting ball game. Debo Samuel most likely is not going to play in that ball game. So will that be a little bit telling? And as I do want, I want to reset a little bit of that fireside chat we had yesterday. And as Angelo and I were talking, you had two weeks for what you put on display. Two weeks for that. Man. And you see these hires that are coming up around the league. It's like, here, I'll make this comment to you. Tell me if you you buy what I'm going to say here. Before we, we, we're going to reset here. I wrote down the top 10 NFC teams preseason on teams that I think are going to get better and teams are going to be in the mix to win the NFC next year. I put number 10, I think the Falcons, before they even hired Raheem. Is that Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins in the NFC South would be the best quarterback. You you put Kirk Cousins. Okay, in Atlanta, do they win the division? Yeah. Hope we sign Cliff as OC. Interesting take. I'm going to write that down. Cliff Kingsbury's talking. He's getting a lot of run, by the way. I got the Vikings at nine. Quarterback decision on what's going to happen there. Could that be a landing spot for Russell Wilson? I don't know. They got to do something there at the quarterback position. But I think that's a good coach and a good organization. Number eight, I got the Seahawks. I think Dan Quinn gets that job. Business as usual. They need a quarterback. Geno's kind of like the guy that's going to hold the mail together there. I got the Buccaneers at seven. I think the Bucs under Todd Bowles is a good team. I think Baker's going to, they're going to be better. At six, I got the Rams. I think Sean McVay's rejuvenated. I think that Rams organization's going to start getting some draft choices back. I think they're going to be better. I got the Eagles five in the NFC next year. Five. I got the Cowboys four. I got the Packers three. I got the Lions two. I got the 49ers one. Guys, you couldn't beat the Giants at the end of the year. The Buccaneers blew your doorknobs off. Seattle beat the shit out of you. Purdy's a fraud? I don't think so. Had a superior year to Jalen. 
I, I find that insulting when people say that about other guys who outplay your guy. And you're going to go, would you take Purdy over Hertz? No, because I like a two-year sample size to that. Before I make those kind of comments, not a one-year wonder. So I want to see two years. So the last two years for Jalen, would I take Purdy over him? I don't know. Probably not because Jalen could do more. I'm just being honest. Hertz can do more. I'll tell you what I did like to hear. Tone, I bet you loved what you heard too with Angelo. Angelo says he blames Jalen for none of this. He says he's a product of the environment around him. I'm paraphrasing that part of it. But he says his bullshit season this year was a product of everything around him. And he has no accountability in this whatsoever in his eyes because there were poor leadership everywhere around him. Hey, look, you could be the strongest leader in the building, but if you've got your bosses that are shitty leaders, there's no chance that you can put your leadership front and center when you're not allowed to. You know what I mean? Crazy. So the NFC is going to get better. Are the Eagles getting, hey, 49ers are trending up. Lions are trending up. Packers are trending up. The Cowboys, I don't know. So I'm going to say they're going to have a steady heartbeat. You guys think the Eagles are trending up? You think the Eagles are trending up? I think the Rams are trending up. I think the Bucks are trending up. I don't know about the Seahawks, okay, but they're getting a lot of draft picks. Vikings, I'm not sure what they're going to do at quarterback. I think the Falcons are trending up now with Raheem's higher. I do. I think they are. Back to resetting that disaster yesterday. I'm really glad that Angelo called that thing one of the biggest dog and pony shows in the history of Philadelphia sports. Because it was. And the conversation about Nick and Howie sitting there and the lies that they told for 35 minutes was completely on display. It was 35 minutes of lies. And I agree with him. Money Go Sills has Philly fans in a panic mode. No, what do you mean panic mode? All you had to do was watch that press conference. How are you not concerned after that thing? Hey, it's one thing for me to have a fat mouth. And it's another thing for me to say something. Or it's another thing for even Angelo to say something. It's another thing to sit there and listen and make your own assessment. And if you come away from that press conference yesterday enlightened, you got a problem with what enlightenment is. 
There was not, I mean, anybody who thought that thing was positive. I mean, I get it. You have a lot of empathy for something. Me, I don't. I I have empathy for winning. That was not a winning press conference. Chuck's right. Was a complete disgraceful display of bullshit. The point I want to know, though, why did you feel compelled to get in front of people yesterday to do that? Why did you feel compelled to do that? I'm going to say something here to you before we get Randy Cross on. Let me tell you about this guy, Purdy, here, what they got going on in San Fran. Do you know that dude's making $870,000 a year? Starting March 17th, Jalen Hurts is going to make $900,000 a week. And do you know that that guy gives Kyle Shanahan and gives John Lynch two years of equity to build their roster up and have salary cap integrity for two years. That's how you build dynasties. Montana was a third-round pick. Think about the money they didn't pay him. Joe wasn't a high-paid guy until his contract was up. This guy was a third-rounder. Montana was a third-round pick. They were magical. The 49ers and in, in getting guys in ladder rounds, finding guys. That's how they built that organization into the best organization in the 80s and 90s. And they're doing it again. I think Lynch is just taking a page out of John McVay and Bill Walsh's book. And a guy who works for CBS won three Super Bowls. And he works with CBS. NFC title game is in Santa Clara. Not quite San Fran. And keep him in the dirt. But it's our friend Randy Cross. Andy, keep him in the dirt, baby. Yeah, take him to the swamp. <laughs> I know, hey, coldest high- time you could ever play a football game is in September in San Francisco at Candlestick Point. I mean, oh, yeah. you freeze your baguettes off out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you really hit it wrong, it's cold and it's high tide. So you <laughs> Absolutely. Randy, are you surprised that they're back in the NFC title game? No, no. I mean, the the things that had to break right have pretty much broken right. I mean, you got to have the injuries go the right way, and everybody knows that now. I mean, if if it happens for you in that second half of the season where you don't lose your more valuable bodies, you're going to be right there. And the way that they're built, man, I mean, they they can run the ball with CMC. They can throw it like crazy, obviously, with Purdy at quarterback. And they got a defense that – do they bend? Yeah. They don't break real often. And, you know, occasionally this year, especially in the second half, they've gotten touchdowns scored on them the first possession by offenses. And then the offense on the other team turns around and goes, oh, wait a minute. Have they scored the last five times he had the ball? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you know. they score in bunches, man. I mean, have you been surprised, Randy, with the play? Get get this. I've never seen this. You flop on a guy you wasted three ones on, and you land on a guy 
let you all of a sudden you look at his numbers. This guy's got numbers better than Montana. This guy's got numbers better. I get a different era, a whole different thing. The wide receivers being killed in the line of scrimmage. I, I get all that, but still, have you been surprised by his development? Not really. You saw at the end of last year that got sort of obviously stunted by what happened in that NFC championship game. But, you know, his recovery, how little have you heard about that? I mean, he had basically Tommy John surgery on his elbow. And he was back by the first regular season game. Um, He's he's in camp. He's throwing the ball early. Um, No, I'm not surprised. I mean, I I think Kyle Shanahan has done a really masterful job with Brock Purdy as far as how he's taught him and the options he's given him. Um, And and watching him progress and read the field and watch those receivers adjust to him, it's it's been fun to watch. It really has. It's been something that's been, uh, you know, as a former 49er, I guess I'm always a 49er, but as a former player for them, it's – it's something that brings back a lot of good memories because, you know, I think he's got the potential to be that good a player. And despite that, there are idiots in that fan base that would take Trey Lance back right now. They would, they, it's like, can you see that? The ball was wet. It wasn't coming out right. Get rid of him. I mean, it's like, give me a break, you idiots. It's, it's, it's insufferable, but it's not any more insufferable than your typical, you know, sort of sports generated stuff this year, these days that are all, they're all, it's all based on takes. You got a hot take, you're good. You know, even if you're a fan, you got a hot take, you're good. I'll tell you this, Randy, that kid's not, Trey Lance is not better than Colin Kaepernick. So to sit there and say you're better than that kid, that what that guy's doing right now. How about this little statistic for you that Bill Walsh would probably even love? He attempted the least amount of passes of any quarterback in the top 20 and finished second or your third, second or third in passing yards. Shows you the effective and the efficiency of what they did with that quarterback and how good he was and effective he was. They threw the least amount of passes and you're like third or second in total passing yards. That's amazing. Yeah. Does, does, he, does that offense and does Kyle kind of remind you a little bit of Bill? A little bit of Bill, a lot, a lot more of his dad, you know, a lot more of Mike, you know, because of the, the running back emphasis and the And Mike was in San Fran. I believe yeah. he was in San Fran with Seifert. Yeah, he was. And, you know, the whole emphasis on movement and the offensive line, that reminds me a lot of Mike Shanahan. Um, all the motion, all the formations. You know, there's a little bit of Joe Gibbs in there. There's a little bit of Bill Walsh in there. Um you know, there's very, very, still even today, even in an offense like this, there's very little new. And, you know, everybody kind of cannibalizes old ideas. And I think as we currently see it, Kyle's doing the best job of that. How, you know, think about what the team you're playing. And I got to hand it to Dan Campbell. You know, I thought he was a WWE guy and he was getting ready to like, all of a sudden the kneecap shit and all that. And, you know, Chris Bim was telling me, Sills, this guy's the real deal. And sure enough, Chris was right. This guy is the real deal. But how – do you know he's the winningest coach in the postseason in the Super Bowl era and all-time in Detroit history for postseason wins? 
and they've been around for a billion years. Just to show you, you know, they don't win up at that place. Talk about that Lions team. I mean, yeah. it's been a remarkable turnaround. Look at all the hits that they're hitting with Brad Holmes, their general manager. It's been remarkable. Yeah, they've done a fantastic job of drafting um, and making deals and getting talent. I mean, you look at where do you want to go? You want to go Aiden Hutchinson? You want to go over there? You want to go Campbell at linebacker? Penny Sewell? You want to go to Penny Sewell? Who's, you know, that, to me, is one of the highlights of the game Sunday is you get to watch two of the most dominant offensive tackles in the game that not only are big and fast, but they can, they can scoot and they can move people. I mean, that's going to be great. But, I mean, the Lions personnel, it, it's, it's not quite as good as the Niners, I don't think. But I tell you, their hits have been gigantic. And they're, they're probably two or three more of those away from being a – a dominant team and there's not a fan base in the league that deserves this more maybe cleveland but i mean detroit it's been since that 57 game when they came back at keysar stadium to beat the niners that's right it was the niners at keysar yep that's right man that's correct that's right the lions last time they won a world yeah. championship well, was 80, that 80, in 81 in 81 dan we heard all about that stuff all about it we, we when you guys went to detroit we went, no, we went to the NFC Championship game against Dallas. We heard about all the times the Niners had failed against Dallas. We heard about the times the Niners had failed against Detroit. We heard yep. the times the Niners had failed, had failed against Cleveland. I mean, it was crazy. But, yeah. How many NFC title games did you play in, Randy? Um, four. What one sticks out the most to you? Was it the catch in the back of the end zone with Clark? Um, to me, I've always been – the, the, the catch, the, the ones that were positives, you know, the two times we beat the Bears and the time we beat the Cowboys were pretty magical. Um, the 83 team, I think, would have been a world champion if we had gotten out of RFK. And the whole thing with the officials and whatnot was a little little dicey. But that that game really stuck with me to this day. I mean, the two times we lost to the Giants in the playoffs, one time I was there, one time I wasn't. I mean, they, they literally physically beat us. They, they deserved that. And we lost in 87 to the um, Vikings in the divisional round. But of, of all the times I was in the championship game, is that game against the Skins that sort of stuck in my craw. Of course, if it hadn't stuck in all our craws, we probably wouldn't have been 18-1 the next year. I'll, I'll I'll make this point to you. Isn't it funny? The only things that you harp on are the losses. You don't really look at the wins anymore because you're like this, because that shows you how spoiled this guy is, folks, because he's had so many brilliant ones. But let me, let me throw this at you. I've never asked you this one. The last drive with Montana of your career in Miami or the, or the first drive for the Super Bowl with the catch, what meant more to you in your career because, again, it was the beginning and the end for you in mm -hmm. your career of winning. Think about that. Again, folks, you got to understand that game in Detroit is still today the most watched game in Super Bowl history. And you had nobody but our great friend, Freddie Solomon, Cooper, Wendell Tyler. It wasn't Rice. It wasn't Taylor. It wasn't Craig. It wasn't any of those guys. It was just a cast of those guys that you guys had put together with McVay. That was that great game of candlestick. Then you go and play Cincinnati. I think you beat them 27-21 or 28-21, something like that. It was a one-score game. 
And then that last drive with Montana taking you down the sidelines to win another Super Bowl. What do you think you look back on more fondly? Um, well, it's kind of hard to badmouth, you know, the, the <laughs> right. It's, it's like to talking bad, about to your two kids, right? <laughs> it's hard to badmouth bad the ability to kind of ride off into the sunset, you know, a Super Bowl champion, which is what happened after Super Bowl 23. Um, but I think it was that first one against Dallas. Beating, beating them, they had embarrassed us so bad for a couple of years in a row before that. Um, they were so arrogant. Um, it was it was very very special, and 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 it's it's worth remembering. We had a great point of reference because we had recently really sucked. Yeah. So so going to a Super Bowl. I mean, two years before that we were yeah. two and fourteen. The year before right. that we were six and ten. Then we go sixteen and three, go to the Super Bowl and win it. And you know, I, I wouldn't say appropriately, but. We might have over-celebrated that offseason. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did it mean more beating – this is a crazy question because it's a Super Bowl ring. And actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Summerall and Madden's first Super Bowl mm-hmm. that they called in the booth for CBS at the time. Um, did you get more personal satisfaction in beating Dallas than you did in winning the Super Bowl against Cincinnati? Um. I don't think so. I mean, it's still the yeah, Super Bowl. Can't, can't. No. But I mean, we had played, we had played Dallas earlier in the year and whipped their ass. And they insisted that we hadn't played the real Dallas. And we had played Cincinnati earlier in the year in Cincinnati, in and, Cincinnati. Beaten and beaten them. So now getting getting the Super Bowl, making that halftime lead, it was 20 to nothing at halftime. So that was that we we might have relaxed a little bit in the second half, and thank God for the goal line stand and everything else. But yeah, I, I, I'd say it was still the Super Bowl. I'd have to go with that. You know, Randy, it, it it's coming back to me now because when I was on KMBR in the Bay Area, I used to get Bill Walsh on. I think Bill may have been at Stanford at the end there a little bit because he gave me his book. I got a signed copy of his book, and I asked him. In that first Super Bowl year, what his fondest memory was, you know what he said, and I, I and I hadn't thought about it, and I didn't know the history of it. He goes, "What do you think it was?" I go, "Well, it has to be winning that game." And he goes, "We played Cincinnati in a regular season, and going back to Cincinnati and beating Paul Brown's Bengals when Paul Brown was doing everything he could." to undermine me on getting jobs in the NFL. It came out, Mr. Bartolo had told him there was a Green Bay job. The Charger job was open. The Ram job was open. And Paul Brown, people don't know this story, and I'm, I hope I'm not saying something out of school here, but mm-hmm. he, he said, I go, so Paul Brown was undermining? He goes, Mr. Bartolo told me the story too, that Paul Brown was undermining Bill because he didn't want Bill to get all the credit for that team back in the day in Cincinnati when Paul was the head coach and that he would undermine him getting these jobs. And he recommended to DeBartolo not to hire him. And then he goes, no, I'm going to hire him. Then he went to the Blue Bonnet Bowl and they found some of these guys and all this stuff. And 
I, 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 I went back and did the history and then Mr. Bartolo told me story. But so it had to be a little bit more of that too because many people don't know that story. So beating the Bengals yeah. in the Super Bowl probably meant a lot to you guys because it was for Bill Walsh because Bill had been passed over for that job that he was promised. Oh, yeah. He would never publicly say much about that. Uh, you wouldn't hear it in a press conference. You wouldn't. You, you, he'd, he'd have a, a few choice words behind closed doors about that situation. Uh, he'd take some little veiled crap, cracks at him. You know, he'd look, we'd be at practice the week of the Super Bowl. We had the early practice date and the, the Bengals practice late, and we, we both practice at the Dome. So we're, we're in a practice and we're playing music. We're, we're playing air guitars behind the defense and doing all this stuff. And, and Bill start laughing and he's kind of shadow boxing. He looks around, he goes, turns, he goes, hey, look. You look down the, at the other end zone and the Bengals are standing in the tunnel. They've got their helmets clicked up. They've got, and, and they're sitting there with Forrest Gregg, like, we're ready to go. That's for practice. And Bill's going, ooh, that looks bad, doesn't it? <laughs> Didn't they pass for, Hey, get, so Bill said this, that they, they, Paul Brown called them in and I think they went with Blanton Collier or somebody like that. Bill Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson. That's it. And he said to him, I don't think you have the temperament to be a head football coach in the NFL. And that stuck with Bill. Oh yeah. His entire coaching career that he didn't have the temperament until Kevin Fagan told me a story about you guys when you guys would practice. And I'm going to get a little raunchy here, guys. So Bill would go like this, and he would go to, like, McKentrick, or he'd go to all those position coaches. You can't get these guys going, you son of a – he would get in all of their assistant coaches, and it empowered you guys to go, shit, man, I don't want my assistant coaches to get shit on like that by Bill Walsh. He never really killed you guys but he would kill the assistant coaches. I thought it was a slick way of coaching you guys. Yeah, that yeah, was pretty good. He, he, he'd jump on Bob McKittrick or he'd jump on Hackett or he'd jump on Milt Jackson. or he, I mean, he, would, he was an equal opportunity dogger. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it worked. He, he'd rarely get after us. When he got after you, you knew damn well you deserved it. Absolutely. Randy, a couple questions, if I may, on the AFC. Mm-hmm. Mahomes, you know, I, I bet against this guy too much now, man. I'm starting to do the shit that I did with Brady. And I'm going like, how can you vote, how can you go against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, right? And yeah. so just just your take, a couple questions here on this, if you can. How do you see that game playing out, AFC title game? Um, you know, Baltimore looks like they're kind of that team. And they have for the last, since they just butt whipped San Francisco in San Francisco, it's been like, ooh, that looks familiar. I've seen Baltimore on that kind of roll. And they look like they're back on that kind of roll. Um, I, I love Kansas City. I, I think they've got a lot of stuff going for them. They may be down an all pro guard. Um, I, I just don't see, I don't see Mahomes pulling any of that Mahomes magic not in Baltimore against that defense, having to keep pace with what can be done on the other side with Lamar. 49ers, Ravens again. This time, I think the 49ers win it. And 
back to you yeah. low lives winning all those damn games and Super Bowls and finally going they to Hawaii. Finally, they finally get number six. <laughs> Been a while. And by the way, tell everyone you're three and zero, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like Jordan. I'm six and zero. Cross is three and zero. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we don't I mean, lose. We don't lose Super Bowls. And I tell folks this too, Randy. Joe Montana threw 14 touchdowns in Super Bowl play. Never threw a pick. Had 135 quarterback rating. Mm-hmm. That's how you win those games, Randy. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Enjoy the games this weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much to my good friend, College Football Hall of Famer. He also works at CBS Sports. We really appreciate him coming aboard. That should be a great game this weekend. All right, guys, do me a favor. Hit the like button. Keep it here, National Football Show. and Hooters, the perfect pair. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. E-A-G-L-E-S. E.
Eagles. Big sales. Pretty good stuff today, man. Thank you guys for coming aboard. Really great. Really great. Really great. Absolutely. Okay. I forgot to do this. And because this is the year ender, I wrote down the top 10 quarterbacks in the National Football League, according to Big Sills. Here's your ender. Number 10, Matthew Stafford. 39-65, 24 touchdowns. I get Jared Goff, number two, or number nine. 45-75 in yards. 67-3 quarterback rating, 30 touchdowns, 12 picks, 97-9. NFC title game. <laughs> okay. CJ Stroud. Hang on. Don't get your butt up here, man. He said these last 10 minutes are going to sting. He said these last 10 minutes are going to sting. You can't, you're not going to get away with that. It's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> you tell me if I'm wrong here on this. No, no. It's, you're on. all good, man. It's just, no, I no, just know no, my guy's no, not no, on no. there. You debate because you know what? For like one of the very, I'll tell you what, man. I'm sorry I had to tell you this, bud. I know, I know. I'm like a fungus to you, man. I think I'm growing on you, man, because I hear you going, I don't agree with that. And I'm going, wait, what's that? <laughs> you know, and I'm going, I'm not, no, I'm talking like you go like, to like your interview guys, which is phenomenally great. Um, Wasn't Angelo sensational today? Oh, my God. Angelo is always tremendous when he comes on, man. It just brings back the memories. Like those morning, those morning drives, those morning rides to school. Like just, yeah. Shitty, you, you had to grow up with that guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Angelo's voice is trademarked. You know what I mean? I want to pass the baton to you. That was cold, wasn't it? That was cold. That was the greatest that. compliment that was... I've ever had in my broadcasting career from somebody I revere. I yeah. was like, I told James, James, I want that freaking posted. Okay. And I'm <laughs> going to save that in my wallet for the rest of my life. You know, so because, funny, you know what they say? They say never meet your heroes, right? But Angelo Cataldi, he's yeah. he's one of one. That's the hero you want to meet. Man, I would just, okay. So anyway, enough because you, you Philly guys can't take ass kissing and rainbows and butterflies. So yeah, we understand that. too much. Okay, so number 10, I got Stafford. I like that, by the way. 39.65. Now, what I didn't like was I didn't realize his completion percentage was that low. 62-6. But his rating was 92-5. He had 24 touchdown passes. At nine, I had golf. And by the way, at the end of this, I'll ask you, would you replace any of these guys with Hertz? Okay, so I'll, I'll just tell you now. Hertz ain't on this list. All right, right. Jared that's, Goff. That, that's why I said it's going to sting, because I know my man's not on that list. <laughs> Jared Goff, nine, 45-75, 67-3. Completion percentage, 30 touchdowns, 12 picks, 97-9. Number eight, I got Stroud, 4108, 
63-9, but his touchdown interception ratio, I think, was the best in the league, 23 to 5, had a hundred point eight rating. Mm-hmm. Number seven, I had Jordan Love, 41-59, 32 touch. I, I can't believe he threw that many. 11 picks, 96-1. I got Mahomes six, believe it or not. And I don't, I probably should have my head examined. By the way, I stole that from you. I don't know how many times I'm going to continue to bet against this guy because this guy's, if I'm betting money, man, I'd be in a poorhouse. I've been, I've been betting against him all year. Dude, and... I get it. 41-83, 67-2. Look, this is a down year for Mahomes. Watch this. 41-83, 67-2 completion percentage, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks, 92-6. And that's a down year for him. It's crazy. Crazy. Number five, I got Tua. 46-24. 69-3 completion percentage, 29 touchdowns, 14 picks, one on one one. I got Josh Allen fourth, 4306, 66-5, 29-18, touchdowns, interceptions, 92-2. I got Dak third at 45-16 yards, 69-5 in completion percentage. This is a great touchdown interception ratio, too. Mm-hmm. 36 to 9, 1059. Purdy's is insane. Purdy had 4280, least amount of attempts of any quarterback in the top 20. 69-4 completion percentage, 31 touchdowns, 11 picks, 113 rating. And here's the outlier, which brings Jalen into the conversation, is the number one guy is Lamar. Of all these guys, he threw for 3678. I think he played in all the games, too. completion percentage, another good quarterback touchdown-interception ratio at 24-7 with a 102-7. Again, you got to look at Lamar and Allen and Hurts differently because then I get it because you're looking more of impacted game. Um, Would you put Jalen in that top 10? When I look at the names that you have ahead of him, Maybe Stafford. Maybe I mean Stafford. Stafford did miss games. He did. You know, and he so, got hot in the back end of the eight. And he got hot in the back end. Remember something? We have recency bias with Jalen looking like the team looked down the stretch. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's true. Matthew Stafford looked great down the stretch. That's true. Um, okay, so. I like your list, by the way. Um, I will move some things around. Okay, tell me. I'd like to hear um, yours. So, um, so at number one, I put Lamar. Number two, I put Purdy. Number three, I put Allen. Okay. Number, number four, I put Dak. Okay. Number five, I put Mahomes. Okay. Uh, six. I have golf. Yeah, I, I probably had him too low. Seven. I have Tua. Eight. I have Stroud. Nine. I have Love. And then ten is where mm, those interceptions are really hard for me to really get. Well, I liked the, your list. 
the turnovers. The, the turnovers are really yeah. hard for me to get behind when it comes to Hurts. It's really hard. Twenty. He had nineteen of them. He had nine. How many turnovers how many picks did, did he have? Uh, Stafford had eleven. Eleven turnovers total. No, 11, 11, 11 interceptions. I don't know what his fumbles were. Okay, okay. Um, if we're not, because Hertz only fumbled the Hertz fumbled the ball four four times, so I think he had fifteen interceptions. Okay. But Hertz had like forty touchdowns, didn't he? Or thirty eight touchdowns? Yeah. I mean, yeah, how many did he have? Something like thirty five. It was thirty eight. I don't know. It was like forty seven touchdowns or something. How many shit. touchdowns does Stafford have total? Um, I don't know if he had any. Well, he may have had two or three, but he had twenty four passing. I can't think this guy's running it in the end zone. Right, right, right. Um, this guy can't jump over a stack of quarters, and I'm not thinking there's five or eight TDs in there somewhere. I may have to edge Hurts over Stafford. Yeah, probably. I understand he has the turnovers. I get that. But I just feel like Hurts was just more productive and available. You know that one thing you said when we were talking about Allen? The, the amount of first downs he had? And the amount of touchdowns both those dudes have. Yeah. So you probably have to put that into that conversation too a yeah, little bit, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, the rushing yards, the ability to move the chains, just the 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 the, the dynamic nature of the way they play the play the position. Um I would, you know, it's, it's if Hurts didn't have all those turnovers, yeah. in my opinion, he'd be ahead of love, he'd be ahead of Tua. Um, he'd be Dude, ahead love of love had 32 touchdowns. Say it again. Love had 32 touchdowns. I know, 32, and that's not counting the ones he ran in. Shit, man. As a matter dude, of fact. they got somebody in that, dude. Him and Love, they got some – dude, that's – that. I can't wait to see Anthony Richardson next year. Yeah, so Jordan Love in 2023, he had a, he had a grand total of 36 touchdowns, 32 passing, four rushing. Um, Jalen Hurts, on the other hand, had a grand total – of let me make sure I got that number right. Give me one second. Jalen Hurts had a grand total of 38 touchdowns on the season. So he ended the season with 38 touchdowns, wow. 15 interceptions. Wow. And um four lost fumbles. So Dude, he turned the ball over. Half those, you give me half those turnovers. He's a, he's in the MVP conversation again. He had he, he ended the season with 38 touchdowns. That's a lot. Um a 65% completion percentage. That's uh, he had 4,400 total yards total on, on, on just in, in, in grand total. It's it's, it's the turnovers. That's I literally know. it, and it and it, it, it really kills him. So hey, I one have of the to... reasons also I, I I wanted to finish up with you. Would you make Angelo going like this? I don't blame anything on Jalen. I blame it on the environment around him. You know, I do have the I, I have to put some yeah blame, a little I, I do too. You know, but Jalen's not the person I'm looking at, really, because I trust Jalen to take no, care of his business. I'm looking at him as a problem solver. Right, exactly. I, I, I trust Jalen to take care of his business. Other than that, um, I, I do think, okay, if I had to give you a percentage, I believe 25% goes to Jalen Hurts, 75% goes to everybody else. Okay, that's about right. Tone, great stuff, man. I appreciate it's, it's it. Always, it's always fun. I appreciate you. Okay, thank you very much. I love talking to Tone, man. By the way, that was awesome. Um, we're going to get um, our friend Kadri Ishmael, who does the play-by-play -play for the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, it's Rocket Ishmael's brother. Played with the team. I believe he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And we're going to have the Philly Godfather on, as he always is, at 530. Xander, Big Joe, we appreciate it.
Thank you, Angelo, for coming on. That was absolutely spectacular. Tone, keep kicking that ass, man. Two to six Eastern time tomorrow. We shall see you on the flip side. and Hooters, the perfect pair. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.